1: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the critically acclaimed podcast, the film review podcast, where we review podcasts. No, no. review
2: films. We don't we are we are we well, are not pod- entitled to our opinion about podcasts. A
1: podcast reviewing podcasts would just the snake eats its own tail, reality turns inside. And I and I would review that podcast. <sighs> just to make everything all well, that would be all, fair, all, wouldn't all, it? All, who are you? <laughs> My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I'm, I'm a film critic. I write for Slash Film. And uh, with me, as always, is the
2: scintillating and intelligent William. Introduce yourself. Well, I'm William.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm William Bibbiani. I am a film critic. Uh, I write for The Rep. Indeed. And, and everybody calls me Bibbs. And this week... On the critically acclaimed podcast, we are reviewing a whole lot of movies, actually. Um, Whitney was out of town, so this is a day later too than usual. But um, we are reviewing the new films Day Shift, Bodies, 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 <laughs> Fall, Lol Sing Chada, which is an Indian remake of Forced Gump, by the way. Yep. Uh, the new James Ponce old film Summering, the anime film Inuo, and the new Aubrey Plaza, Crime film Emily the criminal she plays Emily and uh, that's a lot to get into so let's just jump right in uh, this is one of those weeks where uh, sadly while we both saw like a lot of movies we only saw one movie like we only saw one movie together like one we, common film between them. One, one film that we oh. both watched uh, so let's just start and there it, and it's a big movie it's a it's a movie that's on Netflix it's got a really big cast well, it's uh, it a lot of people are talking about it and enjoying it. Uh, it's it's difficult to say what is a big movie anymore.
1: Well, that's the movie true. landscape has altered so much that gigantic blockbusters, mm-hmm. or rather the things that pose as gigantic blockbusters and cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. can sort of pass unnoticed through the public consciousness. Now,
2: there's a lot of films that do indeed get the, the, the cred, the street cred, as... A blockbuster. No mm. one could deny that Top Gun: Maverick is a huge hit this year. Uh, it's, a lot it's, of people love it. It's doing real. Well. It's still making money. It's still it's, doing uh, really well at the box office. It's
1: getting pretty close. The new Top Gun movie mm-hmm. is getting pretty close. Just because it's so leggy, yeah, it's just playing and playing and playing. Uh is really close to being the highest earning, like highest domestic, uh, earner ever. If you don't like, adjust like for inflation. But yeah, still, it's, that's it's still going back like to number. Like it'll su- surpass Avengers at some point.
2: It's it's a really impressive number, and it's mm. helped along by the fact that there isn't a lot of blockbuster competition at the box office this summer, which isn't to say there's been nothing. We've had uh, Jurassic Park, and we've had Thor, and all those other mm. things, but usually there's like two or three of those every weekend, and even a popular movie gets pushed aside after a while with only like one or two every weekend, and sometimes no big blockbusters mm-hmm. a weekend, it's easy for a film that is genuinely well-liked to have legs, which I actually like. And I think it's an interesting mm. paradigm shift. Um, but you're right. There is definitely something happening where, because a lot of bigger, more exciting movies are going to streaming. Mm. For example, we talked last time about the movie Prey, which is a Predator prequel. Yeah, It's a big entry in a beloved, long-running sci-fi franchise. Uh, But because it went to streaming instead of theaters, you know what we haven't really had in the conversation is uh, here's how it's doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about how people like it. It's not about how that pertains to whether or not it's making money.
1: Netflix kind of changed the paradigm when it comes comes to streaming. They're debuting these giant movies, two hundred million dollar blockbusters, and not letting anybody know how they do. Yeah, they might say something like, "Oh, this is like the biggest debut we've ever had," but we we can't verify that no uh, and their not, numbers not, are kind
2: of vague yeah, like, it's like they, 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 people how, watched how many, it for this many minutes cool how many of them finished it they yeah, don't the, tell you
1: that exactly like okay everybody started it and turned it off after 20
2: minutes that's yeah. that's not a good sign yeah. uh, but and, they don't they don't have to tell everyone this because they're not going through another distributor like, exactly. if, you, if you go through and, a theater, and, uh, you are required to say, here's how much money we made in theaters, so I but can, if it's just you distributing it, you don't have to tell anyone.
1: I, I can look at a movie, and I can say if, you know, it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, mm-hmm. but that's all I got. Yeah, I, I, There's nothing to back that up. Uh, so And I like we can, that. I, I like that... Uh, we don't need to consider that when talking about a movie. Yeah, it's not which, like which it's good, the, but it didn't make this, money. We just did that at the head of this podcast. Or it's but... bad, but it
2: made money. But mm. I think it's worth noting that like, yeah. when it comes to a film like Day Shift, uh-huh. which is you know, stars an Oscar winner, Jamie Foxx, it's got a lot of action, it's clearly like a summer, fun, mm. blockbuster E type movie, but because it went straight to Netflix and because it doesn't matter how much money it made, mm. all that really matters is, did you see it? And did you like it? Yeah and i think that's a much more fun place to start a conversation it's with funny, yeah. than that rather than it's making so much money i guess it has to be good or my, something uh, like that i don't i don't i don't find that interesting conversation my,
1: my issue though comes down to that question did you see it and mm. i think because there's so little at stake for netflix who I think they're like Twitter. They they yeah. have pretty much reached everyone they
2: can. There's they're, only there's, so much growth. They yeah, can they're do, they're
1: yeah. not going to like increase their subscriber
2: numbers. So there's yeah, not the al- most is someone's going to move out yeah. of their parents' place and get their own Netflix subscription. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> or they just keep stay on their parents. But yeah. anyway,
1: but uh, as such, they can put these. You know, some really great movies, some really bad movies, whatever they got, they'll just sort of drop on there. Mm-hmm. It's rare that they'll treat it like an event. Stranger Things, that's um, an event. Stranger Things, event. Sometimes
2: if there's, like, if they have big Oscar hopes for it, yeah, they'll yeah, push which, it a little harder. Yeah, you know, like Power of the Dog, they'll push that yeah. one out really hard. Uh, Roma, The Irishman. But there have been plenty uh, of great movies that they've just dropped in a bucket. Yeah. And yeah. lots of and a few crap and movies uh, that they treated like a they, big deal. But anyway. I'll say this.
1: Um, in terms of, like the action pictures, the big ones that they've Mm. been pushing, all the ones with Ryan Reynolds in
2: them. Uh, (laughs) Did they, they do any ones with Ryan Reynolds? Did uh, the that Michael Bay movie had Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. Six Underground. And then Red Notice. Red Notice. I was thinking of when and I think of And The Adam of, Project. When I th- oh god, The Adam Project <laughs> forgot that exact... That was this year. That was this year. Oh my god, that was, well, that proof was like positive. Two,
1: that was like a month and a half ago.
2: When I think of Netflix action for whatever reason the first mm-hmm. two films I think of are The Gray Man but that's just because it just came out um, and Extraction just because it tried to be a real balls to the wall kind yeah, of action I mean, movie with uh, Chris Hemsworth, you yeah.
1: know? Uh... The, a lot of these action movies just outright suck
2: mm, uh, yeah.
1: uh, Lon Harris uh, a colleague of ours who, who he, Lon Harris does Twitter very well oh yeah um, <laughs> he, he's one of the great follows uh, he has tried to you try to coin Red Notice as a descriptor for uh, an entire genre of film yeah uh, that is like a really well-moneyed
2: globe-trekking kind of spy adventure mm. that
1: has no personality. Yeah,
2: it's everything's quippy, there are mm. no meaningful stakes, there's some reasonably big stars, they go to different locations, mm. yeah. they have an excuse um, to dress up a bit, and then it's fucking over. Yeah, that,
1: that's... Yeah. Lon Harris has has started describing any type of movie mm-hmm. with those descriptors as a red notice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, well, this new movie, it's coming out. It's this big, well-moneyed action film on streaming. Nobody's talking about it. Is it a red notice? Um. Yeah. I think the gray man is a red notice. The gray, the gray man is most certainly a red notice. Yeah. And, uh, so all of those action movies are disposable. Yeah. And kind of a
2: waste. I'm you, sure. You, we watch ju- I'm you know, sure someone can think of an exception, but the ones we're talking yeah. about, yeah, like the not old, good. The old guard is fine. Uh, yeah, the old guard. Uh, is like It's okay. The, the action's better than the plot, yeah. But yeah. Uh.
1: In terms of their horror, they've been doing really well. There's some good stuff. Uh, Fear Street.
2: Uh, like, all of Fear Mwah! Street
1: movies are great. Wonderful. Uh, Night Books was really fun. It was. They did Vampires versus the Bronx. I- I'm uh, waiting for is... that movie to find
2: its audience. It's such a delight. <laughs> it's
1: really nice. And in fact, uh, Vampires vs. the Bronx would make a great double feature with Day Shift. It would. West Coast and East Coast. Vampires. Yeah. Uh, because this is set n- not just in L.A., in the Dumpy parts of the valley. (laughs) Which is to
2: say the real L.A. Yeah. yeah, The L.A. movies don't show you.
1: That's what L.A. looks like. If you want to see what the real Los Angeles... I see this movie. See the Tangerine as well. If you want to know what Hollywood looks like, see the movie Tangerine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is... uh, It's a vampire movie. Mm -hmm. It has a premise... uh, There's actually been a lot of movies about uh, vampire hunters for hire. It's, It's like just a job. And this treats vampire hunting... Like, a really shitty paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck kind of blue-collar job.
2: Yeah, Jamie Foxx plays a guy, uh, he's divorced, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's a father, uh, and um, trying to make ends meet, trying to stay in his daughter's life. And the thing that he's best at, the only thing he can really, really do, is fight vampires for a living. Uh, so what happens is, he figures out where a vampire is, he breaks into their dur- house in, in the middle dur- of the day. During
1: the day, it's his, the day yeah, shift. Yeah, which is
2: the smart time to fight a vampire. Uh, And he fights them, he kills them, and then when you're done killing a vampire, you remove their teeth as sort of evidence of the vampire death. Uh. And the older they are, the more valuable the vampire kill is. And there are two markets for it. You can either join the union, Mm. (laughs) where you get a lot of money for it, but it's one of those things where it's like, how can there possibly be this many vampires to support Mm. this giant enterprise with, like, hundreds of of workers? You you say
1: it's a giant enterprise, but it takes place in, like... Wood paneled offices and these uh-huh. really grungy buildings. They're paying like
2: twenty thousand dollars a tooth. Come on,
1: uh, near future inflation. Uh, uh, in, any, in any case, but he, he gets he, to or he goes to like a pawn shop. Yeah, we're run we, by the great run, Peter Stormari. Peter Stormare because of yeah. course it's Peter Stormare.
2: And uh, yeah, and and so he is at a point where uh, his wife is seriously considering leaving town uh, because with, with they, his child with with good reasonable cause, L.A. is super expensive. So she's thinking of selling the house and uh, and moving away, where somewhere more affordable. And Jamie Foxx says, "If I can make enough money to like pay for the kids' braces and help you keep the mm-hmm. house, will you please stay, stay in L.A.?" And she says, "Okay, but you only got a week." And so he has to get back on the payroll mm-hmm. and take down a bunch of like high-profile vamps in order to make enough money in a week, which is honestly mm-hmm. perfectly good setup for an action vampire movie. Yeah, yeah. And, perfectly uh, reasonable. Makes a lot of sense. I like that it's working class. I mm. like that it's not like uh, um, there's not it's not very mystified. It's it's a gag that goes back at least as far as Ghostbusters. The idea that we're taking something fantastical and we're making it working class. Mm. It usually works fine. Uh, mm. Here, I think they but just have uh, a really good sense although, of uh, L.A. vibe that I just yeah, kind of buy it.
1: That that's that's the I think it's. It's great virtue is, yeah. is a good sense of place that it's really kind of sun bleached and kind of gross. Yeah, uh,
0: they
1: he runs like LA. into yeah he runs into like some other rival vampire hunters and it's like running into uh, like rival construction guys yeah
2: rival exterminators or yeah, something yeah and, uh, yeah yeah th- those guys are fun by the way mm-hmm. I think one of them was played by uh, Scott Atkins and oh. uh, the other thing the other selling point of this movie besides the the sense of place. Isn't the cast, the cast is good, by the way. It's got mm-hmm. Dave Franco, it's got Snoop Dogg, it's got a lot of fun people. Snoop is great. <laughs> Snoop is having the time of his life in this movie. He, he, has, he has a great little punchline at the end of the movie. Yeah. But, but um, that, that one made me roll my eyes a little bit, but it, it's fine. It, it's, it doesn't hurt the film. That,
1: that, that Snoop did it, I think, was fine. That Snoop <laughs> that, that did no, it. Nobody good. else
2: can pull it off. You're, you're 100% right, and that's fine. Uh, but the other thing is, this is a movie made by stunt people. And as a result, the action looks good. It's a little ridiculous, like, it's completely uh, over the top. Oh, a every- little! <laughs> everyone who becomes a vampire immediately becomes, like, like this, a kung fu gymnast, yeah. which is fine, I guess, it's just a little absurd, but, like, it, it, it's absurd because every fight scene kind of plays out the same way after a while, and that gets a little mm-hmm. old, but, generally speaking, pretty cool fight choreography... Lots of creative, like, vampire murder stuff. Mm. Uh, and even, like, when there is, like, something... There's not a lot of, like, really big stuff, but there's, like, a car chase. They film it with drones. Mm. And here's the difference between the drones in something like this and the drones in Gray Man. I didn't see Ambulance. I heard they did it an interesting way yeah. there. But uh, the, the difference between Gray Man and this is in this, when the drones are flying around, you can see what's happening. So that it so, actually looks so good and cameras, interesting.
1: The cameras are pointed at something and, and are they capturing s-
2: something that's going on. And they stay pointed at something and they stay far enough away from it that when, like, a car, like, jumps over a divider or something like that, it's not the craziest stunt I've ever seen. But I'm reminded that, oh, shit, that's actually hard to do and dangerous. Mm. And I'm <laughs> way more invested in that yeah. than I am in, like, the $250 million oh. Gray Man. I'm much more interested in... I'm, I'm sure this movie was kind of expensive, but it couldn't have yeah. been that much. Well, I mean, they, they get pretty good talent, but... Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, I am not I'm pretty sure Snoop will work for pretty cheap. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you can get
2: Snoop for for a reasonable for a reasonable fee yeah,
1: given the kinds of films he's appeared in. Jamie Foxx probably had Jamie a pretty Fox good upfront. Jamie Foxx is like a, a big movie star. He's
2: a big movie star. Uh, I actually as much as I love Jamie Foxx, I think he's a very I think he's a great comedian, I think he's a great actor. I think he's a very natural actor, he especially is. in a movie like this where he's not He's not playing a big character. He's actually yeah. playing just sort of this regular guy. There's, I still feel, though, as much as I... And I love Jamie Foxx. I just genuinely think he's... Watch Booty Call. He's great in Booty <laughs> Call. Uh, as much as I love Jamie Foxx, there's part of me that feels either... He was miscast or slightly misdirected. I feel like the part that he's playing has this kind of put-upon, uh, oh, what what else could go wrong kind of vibe. This kind of sad sack kind of vibe. Almost yeah, like yeah. a... Buster Keaton, or to Mm. use more, like, horror terminology, someone like Bruce Campbell. Alright. And, um, I feel like he's so focused on being the cool Jamie Foxx of it all, that Mm -hmm. I feel like he doesn't necessarily play up the scene he was given sometimes, which is Mm. not the end of the world, but I feel like he could have been stronger. uh, I think it was wise, uh, partway through
1: the movie, um, later into the movie than you might suspect, it, it it turns into, yeah, it's like 35 minutes into the movie, that's when it becomes the buddy cop thing.
0: Yeah,
2: like a training uh, day thing with uh, Jamie Foxx as Denzel Washington as the mm. experienced vampire hunter and Dave Franco as he's some kind of cross the, the between... The jockey. Well, he's, he's a cross between Ethan Hawke in Training Day and Gene Wilder in The Producers. Like, uh, yeah. An that's, absolute that's, that's dweeb. Good,
1: good description. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, he's introduced uh, <clears throat> yelling at his desk mate for stealing his yogurt. Like, he's, he's yeah. just, you know, a pencil pusher. And... Uh, he ends up getting really involved in the the vampire hunting stuff to uh, a, a pretty uh, shocking degree at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reminded of Dylan Dog, Dead of Night, if you ever saw that movie with Brandon
2: Routh. Um, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, everyone, everyone, of course, is comparing this movie to Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Because
1: everyone saw that movie, that it, big hit.
2: Dylan Dog uh, was a, a movie based on an Italian comic that starred uh, Brandon Routh... As, uh, basically... Like a supernatural cop. cop basically, you know. imagine, like, a Raymond Chandler story, but instead of just being a regular private detective, mm. he got involved in, like, vampires and werewolves and stuff, mm. and, um... And his best friend he, became a zombie yeah. mean, in that movie. Um, yeah, and you know what? That movie's fun. It it's is. very low-budget, but it's, it's yeah, very fun.
1: I, I think it doesn't have the greatest script, and it is, and, yeah, its imagination is bigger than the budget. If that really was a allowed,
2: pilot but... for a Sci-Fi Channel original series, I think it would have done well. Maybe so. As a standalone movie, it's a little too cheap for its own good, but it's reasonably charming. I, I, and the, I, the, the monsters are neat. It got a lot of guff when it came out. It's it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's it's it deserves
1: to be watched. Uh, th- this has a lot of elements taken from uh, Dylan Dog, But with better action. Uh, you mentioned Bruce Campbell. Yeah, the action in this is... <laughs> is crazy. Yeah. there. There's a scene where the, the vampire hunters break into a house, mm-hmm. and the vampires start dropping through holes in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. How did they figure that out? How are they drilling holes in the ceiling? Are they stomping really hard? How do they know where they are in the room below? You know, they're just landing in front of these people. Yeah. No sense. It's, there's no sense of logic or no. gravity to any of this. That's not why we're here. <laughs> And, and they land and, yeah, like, they're all just, like, super contortionist now and are, like, hi- yeah. hitting people with, like, severed legs and stuff. There's a scene uh, oh. in that same uh, same action sequence where somebody uh, has run out of uh, bullets in their gun. Uh-huh. And somebody else pulls a bullet out of their pocket <coughs> oh, and, like, yeah. <laughs> up and throws it to them. Like, here's one bullet. And <laughs> for no reason whatsoever, the character does a backflip. Yeah catches the bullet in the chamber of his gun yeah fires it at the the vampire killing it before even hitting the ground yeah that's that's stupid you either and really
2: crazy fun isn't you either it? enjoy that or you don't there's yeah. a scene in that there's an action bit in that one that I like that I've actually never seen before like I've mm. seen like weird, ridiculous gun stuff like The Matrix or Equilibrium or the occasional John Woo film. Mm. What I hadn't seen before, and I, I'm, I'm trying to, I think I'm remembering this right. They explained it, but it went by so fast. Mm. I think one of them was chewing garlic chewing gum. Yes. And then he just spat it in the vampire's face and it went through his head like a bullet. The, they they explained that earlier. Right? Yeah. Like he's
1: chewing this garlic chewing gum. Why do you do that? Because it's spitting their eye and it blinds them. Yeah. It doesn't go through into just, their head. It kind of just melts their eyeball. Yeah, but then. you know what?
2: I haven't seen that. You <laughs> thought out some fun stuff. Because yeah, this is what it comes down to when you're doing really well-worn territory. Uh. Vampire Hunters. We've seen it. Yeah. It's Blade. It's Buffy. It's, vampires, it's the Lost Boys. Yeah. It's been done. And and it's, it's fun keep doing it. But because it's been done, the onus is on the filmmakers to find a new way to make it fun. Yeah. And it's just like a slasher movie. Like, if you're going to do another Jason movie, you got to find a new way for him to kill a guy. (laughs) You got to find a new way to make a vampire hunting story fun. And one of the ways to do that is to come up with new kills. Hmm. They do that. And it's fun to watch, it's a neat flick. I don't have a lot of issues with it, honestly. Like, it's a reasonably entertaining... I feel like there's more exposition than it needs to be. It feels like it's Mm. setting a huge stage for, like, a franchise. And I feel like we could have not bothered well, I, with some of that and the movie could have been a little shorter and tighter. But... I felt
1: about the vampire lore in mm. this the same way I felt feel about the vampire lore in a lot of movies where mm. they just sort kind of like give it lip service. Yeah. They try to make it seem interesting and something like Blade mm-hmm. they actually spent a lot of time in the vampire world and you yeah. saw like vampire writing and ancient books and mm. different professions so you got like a broader idea as to what vampires were all about in that movie. Right. Uh, in this they're rich italians like Basically. there's there's not a lot going on I, I, I,
2: but it's not the vampire lore that i found distracting it's all of the like union lore the vampire hunters hmm. union i needed to know half of that <laughs> like i needed to know half of the shit you told I, me about I like really their various rules and I union rules like I, you could we didn't need all of it I, I appreciate when uh
1: the fantastical is depicted as mundane
0: of course always uh, fun
1: and sometimes it works really, really well like in something like this. Uh, sometimes it doesn't like in uh, Bright. That's another Netflix film. I know, I never even uh, saw all of it. <laughs> you didn't finish
2: it? No, I, I didn't have to, and I was like, I, life's really short. Like, like it's I'm really... good.
1: It's, it's really like this high-concept thing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's presented in like this really blunt kind of a it, way. It's a good uh, pitch.
2: It didn't seem like a good movie. No. Yeah. No, like, no. It's, it's an orc becomes a cop. I see where you're going with no, it. Ta-
1: it's, it takes place yeah. in a fantasy world, but... The, I think it, um, it was Antoine Fuqua who did that one. I think no, it
2: was David Ayer.
1: That's right, David Ayer did that one. Yeah, uh, David Ayer did that. So yeah, it was really like kind of uh, like gritty looking. In well, that's to what he, does. Really he does. He and, does cop you know, movies. That's like, no, this needs this to have shit. sort of like a, a a sparkly kind of like cast, cast a deadly spell.
2: R- R- to remember it. that this is half fantasy. Anyway, I didn't. Yeah, fan- I can't it's a really fan- judge. A I didn't fantasy finish a picture. It. I can't judge. I didn't finish it. I just didn't care for what I saw.
1: Yeah, this is. The, the plot is almost non-existent. Who really cares? If somebody gets really kidnapped boring. and somebody's doing that, it doesn't really matter it's why ex- they're in a place for,
2: for Jamie Fox and, mm. and eventually Dave Franco, when mm-hmm. he gets his shit together to fight vampires. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Then, cool. There's some fun character moments. Like Jamie Foxx lives in this like dumpy apartment building mm-hmm. on and sort of has this flirtation relationship with his neighbor. Uh, I thought that was really kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the neighbor character ends up becoming, becoming more, more bored involved later. Yeah. later. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we have all of these little kind of bits of the world without making it feel like it's world building. I kind uh, of felt I, like it was world building. I, I not to the point where it, it bothered me because I, when I sense that I'm being read the series Bible yeah. rather than being told a story, I start mm. to take
2: exception. See, I, it was just on the edge of that for me. It was just, it was like occasionally a tiptoe on the other side Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm ready for this scene to be over and move on with the plot.
1: I think because uh, a lot of that uh, vampire lore Mm. resembles... A trip you might make to a bail bond office. Sure. Uh, then that's okay because that actually resembles the real world. Mm-hmm. Something like this would have a lot of red tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would yeah, have these I'm, sort I'm of like that. dingy, run down devices that show like the changing prices of vampire fangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nothing's shiny, nothing's clean. I appreciate and that. It just, it just, it's, you can smell the courthouse in the
2: movie. It, it, it's not that uh, it felt moneyed. Mm-hmm. It just like it felt like unnecessarily ornate and probably. Again, if there are that many vampires being killed every single day in Los Angeles, mm. it's like John Wick, after a while, you start questioning if there are this many hitmen in the world, <sighs> how much possible work could there be you guys all can't be working full time. You all have to have a day job and like only kill like two people a year. like it's the only conceivable way. Mm. There are this many hitmen. And I kind of felt that way in terms of all like the giant, you know huge room full of vampire hunters that they've got. and I'm like, there can't possibly be this many vampires in this territory we'd all be dead i like to, we, we, they all eat people we'd be out of people the, well imagine like uh if you go to a, an la hotel and all
1: of the yeah. um you know like textile salespeople in mm-hmm. los angeles are gathered in one place probably a lot right sure like textile wholesalers or so. You but know, something everyone needs textiles well, this takes place in a world where everyone needs vampires taken Look, care of. I accept there's... the basic premise. I'm just saying they pushed it <laughs> a little bit. And the population of L.A. is such that you could yeah. probably murder off a couple hundred vampires in, you know, a month and
2: uh-huh.
1: keep the problem at bay.
2: Again, I accept the premise. I just think they pushed it a little further than right. they needed to. That's I, I'm, I'm not... fine with it.
1: <laughs> that it's not plausible is not an issue. <laughs>
2: it's not about plausibility. Yeah. It, there's a certain amount of... Um, People get really hung up on plausibility sometimes when it mm-hmm. comes to fantasy, and it always pisses me off. Like, um, like if, if you said something online, it's like, um, oh well, if you were in charge of Star Trek, what would you do? And I would be like, I would like to do a movie where the Kelvin original series cast meets the Kelvin Next Generation cast. Mm. No one did this when I talked about this recently, but I half expected someone to say, well, they can't legally do that. I'm like, I don't care what. I, what again, you it, you we're, we're what just I making things there, up right. right now. I don't mind if we just make things up. What mm. I mind is when you start saying it makes logical sense and it doesn't, Yeah, that's when it starts becoming a problem. When you're saying, here's the logic behind it, and then I'm like, well, that doesn't really feel very logical. And again, I only needed to feel logical in the broad strokes unless you start getting into the nitty gritty. It's when you tell me there's logic mm. that my logic brain turns on because you just asked me to. Right. If you tell me nothing makes any sense, I'll be like, okay, you can only get away with that for so long as well, but let's go down this road here they said this all makes sense and to be fair it mostly makes sense it just mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where there's so much carnage it no longer seems entirely plausible that this is a secret okay that's all it, it not a huge deal yeah. in the slightest um, just the
1: one minor distraction the, the director of this film is uh, a man named J.J. Perry who worked as a stuntman mm-hmm. until this film. This is for his first film as a director. Mm-hmm. Good to hear uh, And he's been uh, working in stunts since the 90s. His first credit mm-hmm. is in the mid-80s. Uh, and he was, like, fight choreographies for Mortal Kombat yep. stuff. And, and he was in a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Bloodsport 3. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's had a lot. He was in Time Cop
0: too, <laughs> uh,
1: and, and he, he was also. You know I also did like
2: well, bigger was, films like he, Iron Man. He's and a Avatar, second unit yeah. director in a lot of things, and people mm. don't always appreciate how much, especially in an action movie mm. or a big blockbuster, like how much the second unit yeah. does. Everyone thinks that the main director, who's credited, directs everything, and a few of the bigger ones try to. Christopher Nolan tries to. Mm. Spielberg tries to. Uh, it's not practical. And also, in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of filmmakers are brought in from smaller productions because they show a lot of promise, Mm -hmm. and they tend to focus more on the dialogue scenes and the scenes that are more about character interaction and the scenes where people punch each other and it's super fucking complicated Mm -hmm. and dangerous and expensive, very often in a lot of big movies are the second unit guy. Yeah. In fact,
1: uh, in in the case of a lot of the the big special effects heavy action sequences, mm-hmm. the sequences are often in production before they even hire a director.
2: At the very least, they're like all storyboarded they're, they're out and know exactly how least. it's going to look. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so like and so this JJ part- uh, Perry was the second unit director on quite a few big things. He was a second unit director on F9 The Fast Saga and The Fate of the Furious. Uh, he was a second unit director on Warrior uh, that awesome Tom Hardy uh, Joel Edgerton movie, which is really one of the best sports movies ever made. By this mm-hmm. point, um, he's done cool stuff, so this is a this is a rock solid debut. Yeah, Not like every stunt it, coordinator yeah, yeah. who makes the jump does so brilliantly. I wouldn't say this is a brilliant film, but it's very well directed.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it... I think the character work is pretty good, but you can tell that this is a film that's living for all of the action stuff,
2: which is fine. This, that's this what he's very, here to show very off.
1: Kind of simple fantasy, yeah. easy uh, premise that's easy to
2: wrap your head around, mm-hmm.
1: uh, and he just wanted to hang. Like, all the if I was a producer
2: and I was like, "We got a cool action script. Who should we get?" He would be on the list mm-hmm. because he clearly knows how to direct a cool action movie. Yeah. And he, and again, all the acting is fine. All the character work is fine. It all works really, really good. Yeah, cool debut. So yeah, fun mm-hmm. flick. Day shift. Uh, next up, why don't you tell me about this new A24 mm. horror comedy that you saw and I didn't. Okay. Uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It is called
1: It is called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. This uh, is a,
2: a, f- a film that hates young people. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's no, what we needed. Because um, we just, don't get enough shit from the media. Millennials are ruining everything. Yeah.
1: Fuck off. Uh, yeah, I... I this uh it's it's very clue-ish it's mm-hmm. a murder mystery oh, that's, that's a good place uh, to start it it takes place in uh like this really uh remote mansion uh in hurricane country and a hurricane is about to hit and okay. a bunch of people have gathered there for a hurricane party Okay. Uh, that is, they know the hurricane's going to hit, so they're going to have to just lock all the doors and windows. They know the mm-hmm. power's going to go out, so they have stored away all of these uh, flashlights and <laughs> yeah. bottles of water. I don't know how long they think this hurricane. going to last. Have you ever have, been like, in a hurricane? Uh, I've been in
2: major storms, but no, never, like, something
1: that could be classified
2: as a hurricane. I, I was I was visiting my brother once on the East Coast right after uh, his first child was born, and there was a hurricane while I was there, and we ended up trapped inside for, I don't know, like two days. Mm. And uh, he had some friends over, you know, who just didn't have, like, as secure a place. And uh-huh. uh, so it, it had kind of a party atmosphere. They they just played Dungeons and & Dragons and watched around one half. It was not... <laughs> it was not, <laughs> like... Okay. It was not, like, a cool party. <laughs> like, right, well, it was just being stuck in a house with some people, basically. Uh, this
1: The mansion in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is owned by uh, Pete Davidson's parents. So okay. Pete, Pete Davidson is... Uh, sort of this mean slugabed. He's dating a young actress who's played by uh, Chase Sui Wonders. Uh, infiltrating, sort of crashing the party, is Amanda Stenberg. Okay. Uh, I like Amandla Stenberg
2: a lot. She's great. It was in uh, uh, and, oh, The uh, Hate You Give. The, yeah, yeah, and. Great movie, yeah.
1: Um, and uh, Amanda Stenberg plays a character who is introducing her brand new girlfriend to the group. Yeah. And she's played by uh, Maria Bala- uh, Bakalova from, from Borat, Borat, 2. Borat yeah. 2. Nice. She was hilarious in Borat she 2. Was she Oscar
2: nominated for that? Uh, she should have been. <laughs> she was! She was Oscar nominated. Well, good. Yeah. She deserves she No, no, she absolutely she totally deserves it for that movie. Yeah. Not enough not yeah. enough people get nominated for comedic performances. She absolutely deserves yeah, there's, it.
1: There's also a, a, a character played by Mahala Harold, she's sort of like the the jealous lover uh who might have dated Amanda Stenberg in the past. And uh wouldn't you know it, Lee Pace is also there. Ooh. As, as like thank you. the creepy old guy cuz oh, yeah. he's 40. Cuz he's in his 40s. and All these other kids are in their 20s.
2: Yeah, fair enough, but he's and, played uh, by Lee Pace, that's Yeah. So, and you know. uh and Body made of ice cream.
1: <laughs> yeah, quite quite a handsome, and, very tall, and, and he yeah, has like six foot five he's or something. He's gigantic.
2: Um, I interviewed him once. He's huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, It's just it, it. Means nothing. It's just noteworthy. It's like, oh wow, and, uh, and uh,
1: Rachel Senott from uh, mm. uh, Shifa Baby. Oh, okay, uh, is, is in there as well. So we have this. Uh, all of these characters are vapid, shrill assholes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and they're dumb. <laughs>
2: great place to start
1: and they're all and they're all uh the Amanda stenberg character is uh sober but everybody else is just sort of drinking and doing cocaine right in front of her right and they're uh there's a lot of like little bits of tension where we get to sort of see that oh you weren't in the chat you weren't really you never said this about me before and as the lights go out and the storm whips up and they lock themselves in they take more drugs they crack open the glow sticks, and they decide to play a game called Bodies, 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 which is like Werewolf.
2: Yeah. Uh, if one know, of the, you is secretly the killer. Yeah, one of you
1: is secretly a killer. Everybody hides <laughs> their eyes. Somebody is chosen as the killer. And then that person gets to sort of, like, sneak around the house, uh, yeah. quote, killing somebody. Like, tapping yeah. them on the shoulder, and they like have to pretend to be now. dead. Yeah,
2: And everybody else has to figure out who it is. That 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 game is... Oldest time immemorial. Yeah. I've heard stories about, um, you know, the Algonquin Roundtable, people mm-hmm. like Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley, all these wonderful writers from the 30s. They had their own private island. <laughs> one of them had an island. They would go <laughs> to the island and they would play that. And apparently, like, one of them got real cute and uh-huh. decided when they were playing their version of Bodies, 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 mm-hmm. he, he he wrote on the toilet paper, You're dead. So when someone was on the toilet and they pulled out the toilet paper, like, Oh. <laughs> they were stuck there for the rest of the weekend because no one used that toilet. Oh, that's
1: hilarious. <laughs> just break the rules of the game. Just go at outside.
2: Just go. At that point, just go. Like, you just stop taking seriously yeah. at that
1: point. Uh, so they, they start playing this game. It doesn't go so well. Uh, somebody kills Lee Pace, and uh, he's like, You know what? You guys are too much for me. Or you young people are too much for me. Uh, it's said that he's a vet. So he's like, he's, Oh, no. He, he really likes a lot dogs. Of, lot, a lot of talk that he was in the military and he might be oh, I he was a veterinarian. But okay. Uh, but uh, as as things continue onward, wouldn't you know it? Pete Davidson ends up dead. <gasps> He's Mister Body.
0: Oh, okay. And, uh,
2: that makes sense. He he well, sounds like the type. And, uh, and the first f- person they to find die a in big
1: sword. Movie. Lee Pace was playing with that sword earlier in the movie. Maybe it was Lee Pace, but maybe it was somebody trying to frame Lee Pace. And, uh, and all of these. All the, everybody immediately starts accusing everybody else of being yeah. a horrible human being. Right.
2: And as they're And they're st- stuck because there's a hurricane. So the, like and they're stuck because there's a hurricane. Yeah. The
1: lights are out. And uh, they start falling. <clears throat> they start accusing each other of everything. And we get to know that all of these people have done something really, really horrible in their past. Not in an intriguing sort of way. Mm. In a way that, ref- <laughs> in a way that reflects on just what rotten people they are. Okay. So it's like, no, you you were cheating on me, but you were doing other yeah, that that mm-hmm. kind of thing, and as the violence starts to mount and other people start to die because inevitably it's going to happen, right? Uh, they start falling back on this really kind of cliched pop psychological language mm-hmm. that you can tell is completely meaningless to them. It's like you were doing cocaine you were you, but then you went into rehab and you know well you you were I was uh, trauma triggering like they're using a lot of this pop uh, millennial psych, mm-hmm. psychology language. Yeah and, uh, but
2: while also removing all of the actual like meaning from it.
1: Exactly. a lot of these terms mm-hmm. have sort of leaked into the vernacular where yeah. people just sort of start throwing them out without any regard to their meaning anymore. right So a lot of, uh, a, a lot of this pop psychological language, is clearly being satirized or mm. at least the way it is used right uh, by a certain age group it sounds you like you can the tell- hunt. You can tell that the writers really hate young people and think that they're dumb and think that they don't understand the things they're saying because these people uh-huh. don't understand what they're saying. Right. They're all universally pretty
2: awful. Is that? But here's my question, mm. though. Is that entertaining or is that just kind of sour oh, grapes? Hilarious. No, it's hilarious. Okay, just double kind of, yeah, check. Yeah, because that could be the kind of thing where it's just like, dude, you're just being a shit to young people at that point. <laughs> you're assuming we don't know what we're talking about. You could be. There's an asshole way to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, but you don't feel this as an asshole. No, right? no, okay. no. I
1: don't think at all. Uh, okay, I, I think it's it's a film about assholes using asshole language. It's not made by assholes. Okay. All right. Uh, th- which, a, and that's a, an important a, distinction. A, to a make. narrow tightrope yeah. to walk. Uh, the the Maria Bal- uh, Balakova Bakalova, char- Bakalova. Bakalova character. Excuse me. Uh, is she's sort of like the. Uh, kind of like the main character we see a lot of things Mm -hmm. from her perspective she doesn't have a lot of dialogue but the the camera's on Mm -hmm. her a lot yeah and she has a moment of confession and even when she gets to finally say something about sort of who she is and what she's been going through it all she also comes across as kind of pathetic and everybody complains about what's been going on in their lives and they're all kind of pathetic and one of the best, most telling moments in this movie mm-hmm. is when uh, somebody says, oh, well, I'm struggling and you guys have always been so much richer than me. They're all rich. Yeah. They're all just rich characters. And somebody looks her right in the eye and says, your parents you don't want to hear this, but your parents are upper middle class. <laughs> and she says, no, no, it's not true. Yes, no, they're, you're well off. No, I'm not well. Yes, you are. We're better off than you, but you're still well off. So these are people who have never struggled with anything really. And when they do have real problems like addiction, uh, it's, it's, they're presented in this really kind of mealy mouthed way where they're actually not really dealing with their addiction. They just sort of say that they are in order to sort of elicit sympathy. I feel like this is really skewing a lot of, uh, self-proclaimed
2: victimhood, which I
1: know is, uh, a, a touchy thing to present mm-hmm. because, because there's a, a lot of
2: actual victims in the world.
1: There are a lot of actual yeah. victims, but there is also uh, and the mm. notion of making fun of people who claim victimhood when they're not victims. Uh, well, I mean that's something that's really common, isn't it? Mm. A, a lot of uh, people on the extreme right, for instance, claim that they're victims that somebody's coming after them. They're coming mm. after your guns, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so it's it's dangerous to present a story that is doing that again without assuming that it's trying to come from a really mean-spirited place, but I don't think this film is. Okay. I think it is actually trying to uh, take down a certain way of communicating
0: okay.
1: that has proliferated among, uh, I guess, just online culture in general. It's okay. not not even limited to an age group.
2: Well, let me ask, let me ask one more question before, um, uh, before we move on there, because it sounds like it's got something on its mind. That's great. Yeah. How is it as a mystery or a slasher or a horror movie? Well, How uh, is it? I mean, you're, you're intrigued. You want to know who's
1: doing it. Uh, Does it. Is it like a place fair? It, it plays fair, and when uh, the eventual killer is revealed, it's like a chef's kiss kind of moment. It works, It's actually yeah. really brilliant. That's, a, and, that's great. I, that's I, would, I, I, I wish I could tell you and discuss it with
2: you. I, yeah, you I'm not going to give away the Even mystery. if I'd seen it, it would be rude to do so mm. for, for an audience. But yes, mm. but I just want to know, does it satisfy? Because mm. we've all had that moment where we're watching like a murder mystery or reading a murder mystery, mm. and we're getting really into it, and then it's like, oh, it was Steve.
0: <laughs> oh.
2: Wait, well, that couldn't be Steve. Steve was in the other room at the time. Ah, we never I, thought of that. One of my favorite
1: one of my favorite mystery novels I've read, I've talked about this one before, mm. but uh, it's by an author named Harry Stephen Keeler. Uh, it's called The Riddle of the Traveling Skull. Ah. It's one of the, it's like an Ed Wood movie. It's like totally mm. bizarre, <laughs> really badly written. Nice. And, uh, uh, Sounds m- great. And m- McSweeney's put it out. It's like, this is like uh, this very strange oddity about uh, somebody wakes up on a bus, mm. picks, like he fell asleep, picks up his bag, takes it home, opens it up, and there's a skull inside. He didn't know how mm. it got there. And he switched bags. And uh he finds that the skull has been trepanned like it's okay. somebody's drilled yeah, holes all, in the yeah. skull and there's like bits of paper inside the skull and some mm-hmm. there's no reason for those things to be there oh god that never go, go,
2: that never pans out visiting a grave
1: site of a human out. spider mm-hmm. and uh about uh, 50 pages from the end and this is the way these books were originally printed back in mm-hmm. the 50s there's a page that says stop there's a big image in the middle uh. of the page all of the clues have been given to you <laughs> You should be able to figure it out now. Oh, Write down I who you that. think it is.
2: I love that. You, That's could, a... you could never figure it out.
1: It's like <laughs> the most bizarre thing. I, I really recommend The Riddle of the Traveling Skull. I'll have to check it out. No. Thank you.
2: Uh, well, I saw the new thriller this week as well, and mm-hmm. uh, this one is a little less narratively complicated than a murder mystery. This is called Fall. Uh, this is a movie for people who either are acrophobic or want to become acrophobic. (laughs) I love it. Because uh, this is a story about uh, two young climbers. Hmm. Uh, They are recently... One one of them recently lost their husband in a climbing accident and is uh, in a bad place. Hmm. And their friend wants to get them out of their shell, wants them to help conquer their fears. And so they go to a place, which I don't actually know how real this is, but um, there's, like, a communications tower, <clears throat> which is the fourth highest man-made structure in the United States. Okay. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's in, like, the desert in New Mexico, basically, and they have to put, like, a light on the top so that planes don't fly into it. Um, but it's in disrepair. People don't use it that often. It's not a tourist trap. It's just out in the middle of nowhere, and it's ridiculously fucking tall. And so... Uh, the hero's best friend. Uh, The hero is played by Grace Carolyn Curry, who played Mary Marvel in Shazam. Uh, And uh, her best friend, Hunter, is played by Virginia Gardner. She was on the TV series Runaways. Mm. Um, Hunter is uh, an Instagram influencer. She likes to do dangerous stuff and film herself doing it for her fans. Mm. And so she says, I'm going to climb to the top of this really precarious thing. And when I say it's a tower... It it's like a toothpick. Like it's like it's as if it, you like put it's your pole. if you put your arms out side to side. Mm-hmm. That's how wide it is at the base, and then it's as tall as two Eiffel towers. That's the measurement mm-hmm. that they use. Uh that's really fucking tall, and that's really fucking precarious. And when they start climbing it. It's just like trying to give you goosebumps and doing a really, really good job. Like so, like the first thing they do, they're gonna climb up on the very first rung. The first rung falls off, (laughs) and only like eight thousand more rungs to go. And you're like, "Oh shit!" And as they climb up, we realize that like huge pieces of it are rusted into near oblivion, and like screws are falling off as they like climb up. And you're like, "No! (laughs) What are you idiots?" Like listen, I'm not afraid of heights per se, but I am afraid of falling from heights. So you so are afraid of heights. I'm I'm not afraid of like being at the top of a building. I'm afraid uh. of I. But if the building was in disrepair, I would be nervous. Hmm. This thing scares the shit out of me. Like yeah. this is a terrible idea by any estimation. And of course, they get to the top, and it's glorious, and the the uh, uh, the standing room on it. Is like the size of a very large pizza. Like it's really very, very dinky. Yeah. And as soon as they start climbing down the ladder that they just climbed up, like the last like two hundred feet on, falls completely away. Hooray! And instead, th- now all <laughs> that's beneath stuck. them is a sheer pole mm. that there's no way you can possibly climb down. Why not? Because there's nothing to let to latch onto. And they don't have a rope or anything. Just like that. You... or is it too wide? It's, it's too wide, and even so, that's like 200 feet and really fucking dangerous. There's all like right. nothing... It's super fucking dangerous, and mm-hmm. they're basically stuck there. And so it becomes a thing where, one, we have a ton of... And it's all fake, it's all CG, mm-hmm. but it's very convincing. Uh, a ton of like, oh shit, how fucking high up can we possibly be? That's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the whole problem-solving element. What do we have? Well, unfortunately, the backpack with our water was the first thing to go with the the fucking of ladder. Course, yeah. So
1: shit. So have, that's not to, good. They have to get down before they starve. Essentially. Yeah, they
2: starve, yeah. dehydrate. Uh, they got a lot of problems going on. Um, they they try to like attach like they're they they can not get any reception on their cell phone so they attach it to the rope that they have mm-hmm. and try to dangle it down as far as they can to see if maybe it can get some reception down there yeah. and it's like that's <laughs> that's probably not gonna work that's not
1: good i love that ordinarily in movies you have people like holding their phones up like trying yeah. like an arm's
2: length yeah. closer to the there's satellite there's so much higher to, than yeah. like where all like the cell phone towers are they got to try to have dangle, to dangle, it, dangle it, down, it down that's really which cute is, which is very very fun it, It's a very derivative movie. The way that the story is set up, like, if you've seen the movie The Descent, very similar opening. Someone dies, friend is a, a, you know, a danger junkie, and they're trying to get them back into the game. Similar, just with fewer characters. Once they're there, the type of danger that they're in is less the descent, because that has monsters in it. Mm -hmm. And a lot more, like, 47 meters down. Except instead of sharks, there are vultures.
0: Oh. who are, like, who, are <laughs> who are
2: attacking them as well which normally you could probably fight off a vulture but again you're on a surface the size of a pizza box mm. so all they need to do is get you to lose their balance <laughs> so it's really fucking dangerous um, wouldn't wouldn't the air pressure cause a vulture to explode or something <laughs> I mean they're not living up there they're all just right. taking they're just they're <laughs> soaring around doing the best they can there's and they're in the middle of the desert and not a lot of other stuff there right. uh, one of them is bleeding so they're attracted to the smell ah okay um it's a very simple, but very good premise. Okay. And, like, it's it's ridiculous that someone would get themselves in this situation, mm. but they do enough groundwork to establish why these two very specifically would do it. Once they're up there, you know, y- y- it's easy to, like, logic your way out of a problem when you're not in mortal peril at the moment. Oh, yeah. You're, so, you're, like, occasionally I'm a little bit ahead of them you're, in you're terms eating, of, like... Yeah,
1: you're eating junior mints. So you got the
2: solution. Like, I mean. I, well, I've got a few ideas, at least one of which they didn't use, and I was kind of annoyed. I was like... Oh come on, that seems like the best. You never did that? We <laughs> never even talked about it? Come on, like that seemed like a good solution. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it'd be spoilery, but um but I, I I will say this. Um it it they they never act like they 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 never act like unintelligent. Okay. They don't necessarily come to the right conclusion as fast as you might, but they you're never like mad at them because they're just they got themselves stuck and they're not getting themselves out of it in a smart way. They're doing the best they can under unreasonable circumstances. Uh. Uh, the, act, the performances are very, very good. You you believe that they're in peril. You believe that they're friends. Uh, and the uh, film, which was directed by Scott Mann, who has been directing, like, a lot of, like, straight-to-video type action movies, mm-hmm. uh, is actually, like, pretty thrillingly conceived for such, like, a limited uh, premise and perspective. Like, it's actually, like, yeah. filmed really, really good. I, I didn't see this in a theater, Uh, In a theater, I think this would probably be pretty overwhelming. Mm. Like, in a good way. Like, in a very, like, oh, God, kind of thrilling way. Uh, But even at home, if you can just watch it on, like, a reasonably big screen or at least put your face up close to your laptop, uh, I think you're going to really experience the vertigo the filmmaker wants you to experience. And that makes it pretty pretty exciting. So, yeah, this feels like the kind of movie that, like... Alfred Hitchcock made two kinds of movies, like the big spectacle, North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. He knows everything that he's doing. And then occasionally he just have like a neat idea and tried to do a little experiment. This feels like one of those. I have this neat idea. Can I make it work? Uh-huh. The answer is yes. It's cool. an exciting, thrilling, simple concept that is done very, very well. Okay. So if you're scared of heights or you want to feel what it's like to be scared of heights, uh, the fall, or sorry, just fall, is uh, is, is quite good. Not, maybe not in the classic material, but, like, if this is your phobia, or this is something you, like, get excited about when you see it in films, like, when, like, Tom Cruise is climbing the Burj Khalifa in Ghost Protocol, and you're like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You should see this, because it's a cool mm-hmm. little thriller.
1: Um, here's what I know about Fall. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Fall was made for about 3000000 million. It's got, very like, a very low budget, mm-hmm. uh, as these things go. And... Um, th- the actresses were allowed to improvise a lot, like mm-hmm. they were really afraid, and uh, they naturally did what they would do in that scenario, which is cuss a lot.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, they they would you know oh, oh oh shit oh fuck like they're they're mm-hmm. really just letting them letting it fly. That and would
2: do it,
1: yeah. Just because of the caprices of the American rating system and mm-hmm. the way certain ratings get distributed in this country, uh, the filmmaker became concerned after the fact that the amount of cussing would get it in our rating. Which would
2: probably uh, would if it's as pervasive yeah, uh, as all that, yeah.
1: Occasionally uh filmmakers can get away with multiples, but there's this there's a rule that the yeah. NBA
2: has You can only get like um, one F word before can, yeah, it becomes you can, you, an can R.
1: you get one fuck and it has to be a non sexual fuck.
2: Yeah. Like it can you be an a, interjection. Hi, would be. you like to fuck? No, yeah. no 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 no. no, no. That, no, no that's in no. our rating right away. But you can like to... fall off a
1: building and go fuck And you can't say motherfucker. Like that's that's not allowed.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh but Because they were cussing so much, they went to this uh, special effects dubbing house in England Mm -hmm. that was trying to uh, sort of revolutionize dubbing Mm -hmm. in that they would have AI technology go in, scan an actor's voice, Uh scan their face... And reanimate their mouths to mm-hmm. make it look like they're speaking in a different language. Well, and to, make come it, up to, with, uh, to make
2: it look like they're actually saying what you dubbed them as saying. So if yeah. if, so if you if the actor said, oh, fuck, hmm. and instead, you, they didn't do this in the movie, but if instead you wanted to say, oh, fudge, hmm. your lips won't be doing the right thing. And sometimes you can see in like IMDb, in like the oops section, no. they'll talk about how this person says, oh, darn, and you can clearly tell that their, they're, their they're lips saying are saying, word, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, so the goal was to make it more seamless, which well, yeah. it, it, which is basically what they've always wanted to do in the first place. I can only get so angry about it. Like ADR yeah, is yeah. very common. Uh,
1: look up the name of the company that did it and mm. look up their, uh, their sizzle reel because mm. I watched it. Yeah. And uh, you can see like Robert De Niro speaking French and it, yeah. it is like, the most Surreal. obvious grossest looking yeah. thing like it, it's not convincing at all yeah so maybe in this it is because it's just a few cuss words here it, it and there. was not distracting uh,
2: because it's not you're not just staring at them mm. constantly being cgi mm-hmm. Here's, it, there's there's scenes where he probably was and the other thing is it's worth remembering that in a lot of those scenes they're not just staring at the camera going saying words mm. They're like off to the side or yeah. like, you know, your your attention is elsewhere because of the way it's framed. Hmm. Um, again, I saw this on my computer. I did not see this on a big screen. And a big screen, maybe it's more obvious. Hmm. But uh, on my computer, it, it got away with it. Well, my, my issue
1: is why... My issue is that we're concerned about this at all. Like, Mm -hmm. that we can give this thriller film where people say a bunch of cuss words Mm -hmm. a PG-13 rating. I think that's fine. I think it would have been fine, too. I have a seven-year-old. He cusses. He's heard the words. And again, we don't cuss around the house. He just, you pick him up. There's
2: no particular reason. Maybe in a couple of bits of dialogue, the word fuck could be used in the past tense. mm. Instead of, like, you slept with him, or you could have said you fucked him. Yeah. But... (laughs) Honestly, the majority of this movie would probably fall into the, uh, oh darn, I I dropped something important kind of realm. In which case, come on dudes, context. (laughs) This is not like a profane, this isn't like Clerks where they're talking about like genuinely Mm -hmm. profane ideas or images or experiences. This is expletive because you're going to die. And I really do think this is a situation where I'd have to watch it. Maybe they decided to get vivid or something with the terminology that they used, but probably this is a sort of situation where you should be able to appeal to the MPAA about something about this, rather than spend millions of dollars, still a cheap movie, all uh, things considered, but like spend like a ridiculous amount of money to CGI their faces so that they said drat. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. Like, can you imagine know, watching it's... this movie and like being absolutely terrified? That these people are going to fall off a thing, mm-hmm. and then they go fuck. And you're just like, okay, that ruins it for me. <laughs> I wish I've... they weren't causing. I much. wish my terror was sanitized. It's it's a it's
1: a little strange. Isn't it, it is, uh, it's weird. And, it, and it's concerning because af- yeah. as we've seen with you know, bigger studios can afford to resurrect Peter Cushing and yeah. animate him wholesale. Yeah, like uh, but now with this sort of, I, I know there's an issue with. Um, uh, Uh, The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Where they they, brought back young Luke Skywalker. Young Luke Skywalker. And they did a CGI Mark Mm -hmm. Hamill. I think they they hired a different actor. Yeah. But they used CGI to make him look like Mark Hamill. Yeah. But then they went to um, Mark Hamill reading an audiobook, had a computer sort of cull up the sounds of his voice. Yeah. And use AI technology to recreate his voice. So it's Mark Hamill's voice but Mark Hamill was never there. Yeah, uh,
2: I'm not fond of that, that. All of
1: that's already pretty creepy. I but... don't like that
2: because you're creating an entire performance yeah. out of an algorithm, and that's not you're not getting what he actually would have done. You're not getting yeah. the creativity and of Mark Hamill. Now you're that... getting the baseline expectation of what Mark Hamill would probably yeah. say. Now, those are A productions. Those are hundreds yeah. of millions of
1: dollars. That something this low budget is yeah. now also doing it just kind of shows how much it's proliferating. Yeah, I don't have a huge... How the, the technology is going to advance enough mm-hmm. at some point where people will just be trying to pass animation as live action.
2: Well, and then Listen, that's been a concern mm-hmm. ever since we started getting semi photo yeah, CG CG. Yeah. Um, here's, here's this, this specific situation as but as annoying as it is mm-hmm. that a movie felt the need to recut itself to be PG 13. This is hardly the first time that's fucking happened.
1: Uh, yeah. That's uh,
2: that, that's been par for the course since the mm-hmm. NBA started doing its thing. You'd, try to get a certain rating and if you don't you try harder and you re-edit it commonplace i'm not super opposed to trying to find a cleaner way to do adr because adr which is automatic dialogue replacement Mm. i think it's what it stands for right um adr is when you've already recorded the movie you probably recorded it with sound not necessarily always sometimes it's not practical and you know you have to record it in post but usually it is and uh, there's something off with the audio perhaps uh, maybe the it sounds like you're in a different room or something like that we need to record this later sometimes you cut part of a scene and you don't need that whole scene but you do need a piece of information conveyed hmm. so you find a place in the movie where like george clooney is off camera and then you can have him say something like ah mr freeze got all those bombs well, we cut the scene where we established that, but we do need the line. Yeah. And so, so this one bit where Robin is on camera and Batman is off camera, you can just add in that line. Yeah. And no one will ever know unless you have a really, really good ear, which once you develop a good ear, you can hear it a lot. Um, that's just the way movies and TV are made. It's incredibly common. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. the norm. Mm. Finding a way to do that a little cleaner using a little cgi so like when you can't avoid seeing someone's lips like in this movie where there's nothing to cut to uh i'm not offended by that because again the actors are theoretically involved the original filmmaker is involved Mm. they're doing it on purpose um it's not it's something they shouldn't have to do in this particular instance but if you're gonna do it i don't mind having tools to make it look a little nicer but yeah. I do, I but, do but take is issue a, a with creating. a tool of
1: making it a little nicer. Well, now.
2: if when used that way, I don't mm. mind it. What I'm saying is, I do mind it, or I do find it at least potentially uh, uh, unethical, mm. or at the very least, creatively a little gross. Yeah. to create a whole performance that way, especially out of someone, and not this isn't the case with Mark Hamill. But in the case of someone, like if they did this with James Dean or something like that, mm-hmm. they're dead. You're desecrating a corpse at that point. You're mm-hmm. telling their corpse what to do. And you're not getting what they would have done. Yeah, I'm, and that's I'm, something that, uh, that bothers me. I, that pisses I'm me off. Guessing, but like, that's, that uh, yeah. isn't this specifically.
1: I'm guessing that our ethics will change as the
2: technology changes.
1: Well, that's true know. for the most technology, yeah, is there's, there's going to be, uh, at some point, recreating James Dean in mm-hmm. CGI convincingly. Mm-hmm. and having uh, his voice, and having being able to use this uh, CGI and AI technology to recreate James Dean artificially, yeah, uh, will be seen as no different than watching a different actor play somebody in a biopic. It's going to become that common. Yeah. And we're just sort of on the first edge of it, and mm. we have problems with it now. Uh, I'm wondering if we'll have continue to have problems with it, and people will start to steer away from it. Mm. Uh I recall, uh, to, to quote Mystery Science Theater, I remember when we banded together as a nation and said no to Yahoo! Sirius. Um, there was a bit where uh, Peter Jackson mm. tried to revolutionize movies by making them look
2: horrible. and uh, <laughs> Talking about making them 60 frames per second? Yeah, the,
1: the high frame yeah. rate stuff. That that was yeah. going to be a big thing. And James
2: Cameron was planning to do that with the Avatar sequels. Uh, uh, um, Lee did it a couple of times. I, after uh, Peter Jackson did it. He did it with yeah. Gemini Man. He did know, it with, with uh, 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 the, Billy... Yeah. Lin's Billy, halftime walk. Billy
1: Peltzer's long halftime walk, whatever like it was. that, yeah. Billy Peltzer from Gremlins, but... Um,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. The, it's, a, it's something people have experimented with.
1: Yeah, uh, and the reaction to a lot of that high frame rate stuff is because a lot of uh, TV shows, news programs, mm-hmm. uh, was shot on... Higher frame uh, rates. Yeah, higher frame rates. It, people tend to associate that look with something that's actually cheaper, yeah. even though it was more expensive to make.
0: Yeah. It, lo- it looks we... really
1: kind of lightweight and insubstantial compared to the 24 frames we <clears throat> were accustomed
2: to see. It, it was actually surreal. I saw the first Hobbit movie in mm. 60 frames per second, yeah. and it, took, so it takes you a little bit to get used to it. Mm. And then once you do, it's fine, but it looks so crisp mm. that the costumes... it, it, look it like looks costumes. Like, it yeah. looks like you're looking at people on a stage, and when you're doing that, you're kind of hyper aware that they're existing in real space Mm. and everything that they do feels like they're touching props instead of you're not watching a painting. You're looking through a window and it just has a very different vibe. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm not a fan, but if we had more of it, maybe I get used to it and I'd ascribe Hmm. a different aesthetic to it and maybe it would work, but we never really did that. Peter Jackson was pushing this stuff hard. Yeah. He was
1: on the press tour hard. Yeah, and really thought it was the future. Kevin, yeah, this is going to be the future of filmmaking. It makes my 3D look even better. Like, he was really interested in the, the widgets mm-hmm. and the tools. And the conversation came up. Is this, this looks really terrible to us now. Mm-hmm. But if it becomes the norm, then yeah. maybe uh, it will look normal to us at some point. Sure. Uh, and then audiences just rejected it wholesale. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, films aren't shot this way anymore. That no. never caught on. Uh, so, uh, it, it all depends, you know, we're at this point now where we mm-hmm. can accept these sorts of things, or audiences can reject them. Yeah. And something won't necessarily catch on. Not necessarily. This feels like something that studios are going, bigger studios are going to be able to rely upon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it has the potential to sort of be pushed in a certain direction. Uh, something that did catch on, even though it looked terrible at the start, was digital projection. Mm. When they moved from 35mm to digital. The yeah. first film I saw in digital projection, well, I think the first film I saw in digital projection was Masked and Anonymous, the Bob Dylan movie. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, v- very
2: specific example, but okay. It's
1: just that that, that was the first one I saw. And no, I it's fine. It, I, just, I, saw, I, don't know, I don't know.
2: I don't know. A lot of people are going to join you on that.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. And, and uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven, I think I saw uh, an yeah. uh, early digital projection. But I also saw. Star Wars: Attack of the Clones, yeah. and that looked like
2: shit. It did. It was it really all really like
1: the blacks were indistinct and even kind of fuzzy. Well, yeah, the, because the the early digital projection blurry. didn't yeah. do black. They wanted yeah, yeah.
2: they wanted to put information everywhere there was actually supposed to be hmm. black, and as a result, everything looks like you kind of downloaded it bad. Yeah. You know, like it was, yeah. It it looked really,
1: really terrible. And if audiences had said, "Uh, we're not going to do this, and George Mm -hmm. Lucas said, okay,
2: you know what, you're right,
1: I'm going back to film,
2: Mm -hmm. it would
1: have taken a lot longer for us to move to digital
2: projection. However, sometimes it's just a matter of maybe the first thing to do it isn't the one to popularize it. Mm -hmm. I think the movie that made digital backgrounds in Mm -hmm. movies... Uh, I think the movie that made that the norm wasn't the Star Wars movies, Mm. which everyone kind of at the time was like, "They're neat, but it doesn't feel right. It feels a little Mm. fake." Uh, The one that did it because the whole movie was hyper stylized and they got away with it, I think, was three hundred. I think once three hundred came out, was a huge hit and people accepted that the digital, the artificiality was part of the aesthetic. It it, visually it worked. Mm. A lot of problems with that movie, but it was a huge (laughs) hit (laughs) and visually it it worked. yeah. Yeah, but visually it was very distinctive and people really dug it. Uh I think that movie helps solidify CGI backgrounds used mm-hmm. in the in the combo's announced in every fucking movie. Yeah. Um so you never know. It maybe yeah. this maybe some point down the line someone will do sixty mil, sixty frames per second right yeah. and it'll work now, and then we'll have it, you know? Yeah, Who knows? There's a
1: there's a a wonderful shot of uh you, you can find this behind the scenes footage of Ian McKellen on the mm-hmm. set of one of those Hobbit movies. And it's he, he is sitting on a set like there's a table next to him and there's an archway but it's all solid green yeah like it's all uh the the archways and the tables are only there so we can like have something to interact with sure yeah it's gone and uh poor Ian McKellen has a bit of a breakdown it like he starts crying on set he's like he can't stand being like pretending that there's somebody there when there's nobody there like yeah this isn't it didn't feel like acting to him anymore. No, it kind, kind of had a little bit of a breakdown. At that, that point, you're be, kind of
2: a tool being used by the yeah, director. So you know? he had, had to be talked talked back a little yeah, bit. That's so, not um,
1: cool. yeah, Porian McKellen is like, technology is, T- Terrence, what, what hath this wrong? I want to move
2: on, but Terrence Stamp had a story like that when he did uh, Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. He has a very small role in the Phantom Menace. He only has a couple of scenes. It's kind of important to the plot, but not yeah. really a rich character. And Terrence Stamp said the only reason he did the movie. Was because he'd read the script and he knew he'd get a couple of scenes with Natalie Portman, who was mm. a young actor he was very fond of. He was yeah. very talented. And he was like, great, I get to work with this incredible young actor.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, then he got to the set and they said, okay, Natalie isn't here, so you'll be acting opposite this tennis ball and we'll CG her in later. And Terry Sands was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, could... I got Lucas.
1: <laughs> like, I. <sighs> I mean, yes, I can do that, but...
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not its not—it's not really why I do what I do. Man. Anyway. anyway we... I, I wanted to have a conversation about the tech no. that,
1: and sort of how, and it's how a good Fall se- indicates And it's that, a good and...
2: segue because one of the movies that actually made uh, sort of using CGI to create new realities, and one of the ones that was really like on the cutting edge of that was Forrest Gump. Mm. When it took uh, old newsreel footage of mm. like people meeting the president, for example, and they put... Tom Hanks in there, and it was pretty seamless.
1: Yeah, uh, that it was really revolutionary, and, and it mm. came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. There was uh, several shots of like Lyndon Johnson and, mm. and John Kennedy, uh, with their their mouths had been reanimated, yeah. and uh, un- unconvincingly now. Yeah, but at but the time it was it, it was really novel cool. And, at the time it yeah.
2: worked, it worked, mm. and uh, so Forrest Gump. Maybe problematic from a story perspective, but was oh, from a, boy. from a visual effects perspective was quite the trailblazer. Mm. Uh, on that note, there is a new remake of Forrest Gump. There is. They remade Forrest Gump. Holy
1: crap! How did that work? Uh, this, this is a Bollywood film. It stars uh, uh, Amir Khan. Oh, who's like gigantic Bollywood star? Yeah, I or, Amir um, Khan. I, yeah. I, I, one of the few films I've had the privilege uh, Bollywood films I've had the privilege of seeing on the big screen was an Amir Khan movie. Mm. Um Amir Khan plays the Forrest Gump character. He plays Lal Singh Chada. And uh first let let me talk about cuz we have we have to talk about the Forrest Gump in the room. Yeah. Even when it came out in the mid 90s. Hmm. It was lambasted by several critics for being unashamedly right leaning boomer nostalgia yeah. and little else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was a film about uh, a young boy. He is, it said at the beginning of the film that he has an IQ of 75 and uh, Uh, he's mm. also, and he's also disabled uh, physically. He has to wear braces on his legs. Okay. And uh, the story is about how his innocence Mm
0: -hmm. and his
1: good heart and his ability to look at the world very plainly Mm -hmm. will uh, leads him to success. Uh, he becomes very rich over the course
2: of the movie. Mm-hmm. He becomes very uh, he he goes to Vietnam and becomes a war hero. He mm-hmm. goes to college and becomes a football hero. He, uh, he starts his own business and that's very incre- very incredibly successful.
1: He is a, a high school teacher of mine pointed this out that uh, when the movie came out, everyone called Forrest Gump very innocent. It's a very uh, very uh, uh, gentle character, and they point the teacher pointed out that. Uh, we wouldn't use the word innocent to describe Forrest Gump, if he was a failure, if he did yeah. not succeed financially, if he didn't make money, if he was poor and yeah, impoverished. Yeah, we wouldn't. We
2: wouldn't romanticize him. He,
1: yeah. yeah, he would have been. Uh, they pointed like he would have been like a comedic uh, idiot kind of a character. Yeah, that you might have seen in like a '30s cartoon. Yeah, but because he was rich, all of a sudden he is innocent. I, I found that a very, a very interesting uh, analysis mm-hmm. of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is also about how great it is to uh, cooperate with the system, follow the rules, follow the rules as well as you can. Forrest
2: Gump does everything he is told Mm. to do. Go to college. Okay. Go to Vietnam. Mm. Okay. Would you play sports against the Chinese? Mm. Sure. Uh, would you, would you engage in, in capitalism? Yes, I will engage mm. in capitalism. Like he does every single thing he's supposed to do and he is rewarded with millions.
1: Yeah. Whereas, uh, I, I, the actress, Robin Wright, disagrees with this analysis, but uh, Forrest Gump has a, a love interest throughout the movie yeah, named Jenny.
2: Girlie knew as a child, mm. uh, she mm. was um, impoverished and also horrifically abused Yes, as a young person, and while Forrest Gump is doing everything that... Uh, the conservative world around him Wants him to do She mm. fights back against that Yeah Does things like Join the hippie movement mm. uh, and, She wants to
1: be a singer Yeah uh, but She wants to be
2: an artist Yeah
1: She wants to be a singer And she wants to be an artist The world doesn't let her have that
2: no the world and, her have nothing
1: and it it falls going back to the 1930s this sort of uh, scare film fallen woman narrative mm-hmm. for the jenny character like
2: she's tainted yeah, and her and, whole life is basically ruined because yeah, she she become she
1: becomes a sex worker uh, and that's seen as very very bad uh, mm-hmm. the worst possible thing she could become mm-hmm. and wouldn't you know it she dies of an sti at the end yeah. of the movie i i don't think it's expressly it's not explicitly stated but, but it's yeah. implied to be it's implied yeah. to be hiv so yeah she she uh, attempts to break out is punished by the system mm. and is killed for her sexual agency yeah yeah nice, nice uh there's no wonder that newt gingrich of all people mm. showed this movie when he was on the campaign stump
2: yeah uh, it is a, so, it is a film about the greatness of a very particular perspective yeah on america the, the hippies uh, were wrong vietnam was a good war like uh-huh. it,
1: it has that kind of a message to it
2: mm-hmm. um
1: despite how dazzling it is, mm-hmm. visually it's great. The mm-hmm. good performances is yeah, it. Gary it's, it's
2: Sinise a, makes me cry yeah, in that movie. He's good yeah, in that it's,
1: movie. It's a, uh, yeah, the, the should, You Should Have Let Me Die.
2: Speech, that scene um, kills me every yeah. fucking time in a uh, vacuum. The Gary Sinise's whole yeah. bit is great.
1: Uh, Lal Singh Chada uh, mm-hmm. makes a few notable changes. First of uh, all, It's uh, not in America,
2: I imagine. It's so not, so it's, no, it's it's so It's, <laughs> it's in dramatically the, different it, in that uh, regard. It's in
1: India, but rather than being on a bus bench where we he narrates the story. It's on the train because the people are sort of crowded in and they can hear him. Uh, The argument being, if you're sitting on a bus bench in India, it's too noisy. Like there's too much going on outside. So you can just sort of have this gentle story.
2: Okay.
1: Um, This idea of playing into the system is not part of this version. Uh, Okay. Because this isn't about capitalism. In fact, I think it's notable that Lal Singh Chada, the main character, is never expressly uh, described as having any kind of mental infirmities. He's mm. just sort of... Uh, he's They call him a dimwit. That's the word they use. Mm. But that's as far as they go. Yeah. He's just sort of this... In, he is sort of an innocent guy. He kind of accepts the world around him. And I feel like that's a, a really interesting creative choice. Because it gives the character, I think... It, it makes him feel like he has more agency rather than just being somebody who's going to say yes all the time because he mm-hmm. doesn't have the wherewithal to make other decisions. Okay. Uh, the uh, Gary Sinise character in Forrest Gump was a fellow American soldier. Right. Who he saved from, uh, from certain death in a, a Vietnamese battle. In Lalsing Chada, he's the enemy soldier. Oh. He was actually the guy he was fighting against. That's different. And, difference. He, and he, uh, because okay. he valued human life, he ran in and started saving everyone off the battlefield, oh, I including like that. the enemy. That's a good change. And he, uh, it's it's the Gary Sinise lost his legs. This character also loses his legs. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's much more bitter toward Lal Singh Chada because sure. not only was I supposed to sort of die for my cause, uh-huh. but I was saved by my enemy. Yeah. And there's a lot when of he, and When, he, there, when yeah. he finally meets him, he's like, "Wait a minute! There's actually like more gentleness and forgiveness in not dying for a cause and actually working for something." Yeah. There's a, a few other fun, uh, just sort of a, um, cosmetic changes, uh, rather than uh, there's. I think there's still Bubba gum shrimp companies out there. The restaurants inspired. Oh, by it's been in a while movie.
2: since I've seen one, yeah. but I think that still exists.
1: There might be one on the Santa Monica Pier still, mm. uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, Forrest Gump falls in with this guy named Bubba who uh, dreams of opening his own shrimpery. He mm-hmm. wants to ch- open a shrimp restaurant. And when, Bubba, shrimp, yeah. and when
2: Bubba tragically dies in Vietnam, Forrest Gump decides to continue yeah. that dream, even yeah, though yeah. he himself knows nothing about shrimp. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. The, the Bubba company, uh, the, the Bubba character in uh, Lal Singh Chada isn't obsessed with shrimp. He's obsessed with underthings. Men, <laughs> men's underwear. All right. Uh, and and he he actually is able to get far in uh, the army because he knits and makes his own underwear for a superior officer. like, yes, this is great. Like, <laughs> it's actually kind of amusing. That's a uh, fun change. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun change. L- a
2: little, little arbitrary, but that's fun.
1: Uh, a little, well, uh, and what's really funny is they actually tie that into a real uh, Indian underwear company. Okay. So the little bit of, this idea that uh, Forrest Gump... Uh, was not just present, but facilitating a lot of important moments in American culture, mm-hmm. is something that I find completely insufferable
0: yeah. because it
1: shows that uh, it shows just how much he's sort of enmeshed with the system. Yeah. America would not exist without people who blindly follow orders and yeah. play into the, the this conservative capitalist notion. And,
2: and it is and it is worth noting that although Forrest Gump may have taught Elvis how to dance, uh, gone on Captain Kangaroo with John Lennon and given him the idea to write the song Imagine, (laughs) that he wrote the expression Shit Happens. Mm. Like, he did all of these things. He called in, like, the anonymous tip that the Watergate break-in was going on. Yeah. Uh, He did all of that, and the thing we don't usually talk about is um, nobody remembers him. He did all these things. People on the bus bench, they don't recognize him. Mm. He vanished. The person who said yes to everything and just did everything society told him to do achieved a success but was not noteworthy. So it's kind of ironic, really, that, like, they're saying, Mm. here's this great person. I'm like, yeah, but you're saying he disappeared into the annals of history and no one will ever know his name. That's not great. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah, there's a...
1: one of the better films, I would say, of of the decade, uh, called "A Hidden Life," yeah, which yeah, is about about devoting your lo- life to uh, gentleness and pacifism. It's a Terrence Malick movie. Yeah, it takes place during World War II. It's about a, a Nazi soldier who just won't go.
2: Well, he's and not a Nazi soldier. He's conscripted into the, into conscripted, the Nazi yeah, like, against his will, but he's hmm. told, "Okay, yeah, he's, you're a Nazi he, soldier now." And he's and, like, and, and he go, well, and "I'm he, not going to do that."
1: And it, no, he goes uh, and yes. sees the violence. Is like, "Nope, I'm, yeah. I'm i you know what? In fact, I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, I can't do that." And yeah. the movie is about how the world keeps pushing him toward. It. Even clergy members are saying you have to fight, and he yeah. says, "No, I don't. Yeah. I don't have to fight. I have to uh, stay and living stayed, by his principles. Living is by his more principles, and he, he stayed anonymous. Yeah. Wonderful movie. Please watch it. you like it more than I do, but it's
2: really, really, really
1: <laughs> yeah, good. It's yeah. really, really good. Um. Uh, so maybe that's sort of like the American version of that, mm-hmm. where uh. You will contribute everything, but you're not doing it for fame. You're doing it for the sake of the backbone of America. Uh there are a few moments like that in Lal Singh mm-hmm. Um they do uh the the um Elvis moment, but it's not Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. it's uh Shah Rukh Khan. Okay. A- another gigantic Bollywood star. That yeah, uh, makes sense. Evidently Shah Rukh Khan is known uh, I don't know his work well enough to have known this. I've heard his name, I don't know. But really, yeah, I'm not famous. You, I, I don't, re- I, yeah. Everyone would recognize him. He's world famous. Um but he has this uh, move he does in all of his movies where he kind of, like, raises his arms up above his head. Evidently, Lal Singh Chada taught him how to do that. So, uh, you know, cute, cute, cute little moment yeah, like that. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, he has a cameo and they use, like, makeup and some CGI to make him look a lot younger. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they do it with um, Amir Khan as well. They make him look younger. I think they do a pretty good job.
2: All right.
1: Uh, the Jenny character, mm. as a character named Rupa, uh, is given a much more respectable arc in this one. Okay. Uh, where she wants to be uh, a model, she wants to mod- like model mm-hmm. dresses and. In her career as a model, there's this mi- minor scandal where she does a nude photo spread, professional mm-hmm. nude photo spread, which in uh, at the time was uh, really beaten down by this moral majority, a really prudish set of protesters. Yeah. And she was drummed out of the industry. In fact, mm-hmm. she was even taken to court over it. One thing I'm a which is in, something that happened.
2: One, one thing I'm a little unclear on, basically, just by, by the way, your description, mm-hmm. Um, obviously this takes place, like, ov- in the past, but, mm-hmm. like... Where is the baseline? Is it set in contemporary? Oh, uh, is it set in the no, 90s no, like Forrest Gump? It's, like, it's set in
1: the 90s. Uh, okay. m- like he, He's a young man in the 90s. And okay. I kind of hoped that there was going to be a moment where they look up at a screen and Forrest Gump would be <laughs> playing on the TV because it came out in 94. Yeah. No such luck, okay. but uh, it's not quite that precious. All right. But the, the Rupa character ends up uh, falling in with uh, essentially a gangster. He's like this criminal lord and he refers to him as, as uh, his heroine. Mm. which uh, I, I had to look this up. Somebody had to point this out to me. Um, heroin is a bit of a slang term for like a movie star, mm. but it's applied ironically in this movie. And it's kind of implied that she's, I guess for lack of a better term, a concubine, uh, this okay. this guy. Like she serves tea. She's like this house servant and it is beholden to this uh, man who abuses her.
2: Right.
1: Uh, she clearly has a lot more agency and it's, very clear that the system is geared against letting her have that agency.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, She is a lot more communicative. She has a lot more scenes than the ramen right character does in the original. Uh, She, we get to understand why these two people are fond of each other. And by the end of the film, she is not punished for having agency. The system is seen as being corrupt. Hmm. Uh, Lal Singh Chadda is Sikh, and uh, a lot of early scenes of this movie, when uh, the character is a boy, uh, there were anti-Sikh riots in India. If you know a little bit about Indian history, when um, when uh, Gandhi was ki- not uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, when Gandhi was killed, uh, she was killed by her uh, Sikh bodyguards, mm. as uh, uh, and all of a sudden, this big wave of anti-Sikh violence struck. Struck the country. Yeah. And people were killed in riots. Terrible, terrible part of history. Uh, and he has to go into hiding. And there's a lot of this anti-Sikh violence. And that would break out occasionally. And whenever that broke out, uh, Lal Singh Chadha's mother would call him on the phone and say, you can't go out. It's uh, it's malaria. Mm. There's there's a sickness out there. You can't catch it. And over the course of the movie, this metaphor starts to rise that intolerance and hate is a disease, isn't it? Mm obvious it's an obvious metaphor yeah but it's actually something in this not movie wrong. that isn't in Forrest Gump that makes this so much
2: better So you're saying <laughs> so that this is the good Forrest Gump This
1: is this is a good version of Forrest Gump the, I mean it's it's uh, Bollywood films are not known for their subtlety they're not celebrated mm. for their nuance they tend to be long and there's a lot of musical numbers mm. in them this has a couple musical numbers uh no dance numbers but you know some songs yeah and it seems to be more devoted to this notion of a philosophical form of gentleness rather than paying into uh, the capitalist system.
2: Yeah,
1: it has all of the same story beats, but Ooh. all of these little kind, little tiny changes about in, you know incorporating Indian history into it rather than American history, I think strengthen the material considerably. <laughs> Sounds good. So, uh, I, even though it's really super corny, <laughs> just like Forrest Gump is, right. I ended up digging it up way more than uh, Forest Gump. I loathe Forest Gump. By well, the way. It's, so the bar it's, was low. The bar is pretty low, but it's so I'm glad that they were able to remake this and make it better by mm. applying all of these different changes. Well,
2: that's cool, man. Mm. That
1: makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, seek out Chada. If you're not familiar with Bollywood, this I guess would be a good. Uh, uh,
2: Skeleton King. It it probably is a movie you've seen. A remake of a movie you've seen. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Um, I guess the next. I guess is that. That's it for the movies you've seen this week. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I just saw this. All right. Well, then I'll try to. I'll try to burn through these reasonably quickly uh, because I've seen three more films, and we could be just one-sided with me just chattering on. But um, there's a new film from director James Ponsolt. I'm sad I missed this. I I know. We we both like James Ponsolt quite a bit. He did the films uh, Spectacular Now Mm -hmm. and The End of the Tour. Uh, and, did do you ever uh,
1: see The Circle? No, I the, missed the, the, the Circle The Circle is terrible I heard he, The he Circle actually, sucked He yeah. actually did quite badly on that Yeah, one, that but...
2: was his like Hollywood thriller But yeah. um, James Ponsoldt has spent like, most of his career uh, Making smaller independent character studies uh, Mostly really, really well um, he, he tends to make films that are very sensitive And kind-hearted Even if they deal with difficult issues Like alcoholism mm. uh, And uh, his new film Summering uh, is, (laughs) it's interesting. It's incredibly nostalgic for right now, which is an interesting Um, vibe. Bah, all right. It's nostalgic for for right now, and it's mourning a time that isn't dead yet. Uh, It is the story of uh, four young girls. They are on the verge of going to middle school. Okay. Uh, They are uh, played by Leah Barnett, Sinai Victoria, Madeline Mills, and Eden Grace Redfield. Uh, they're they're all charming kids. Um, one of whom, uh, their father walked out on them, and they're still processing that. Their mother is played by Lake Bell, and she's kind of checked Aww, out of I the like, family. Lake Bell's great. Um, Bell's wonderful. She's kind of checked out as a mom. She's been kind of on autopilot for the last year, and it's starting to take its toll. Um, one of the kids is uh, just kind of a natural leader, very logical. One of them is a bit more... Uh, spiritual and spacey and uh, another one is actually a little older than some of the others but she's still like shorter than them and it's starting to get weird it's (laughs) it's getting annoying to her that she's kind of treated as like the young one even though they're all the same age Um, they're all going to go to middle school some of them are going to go to different schools and it's the last weekend of summer
0: Hmm.
2: they are wandering around their reasonably small town uh, just going about their business, you know, playing, thinking about the future, debating stupid shit about time travel. And one day, a couple of days before the end of summer, they're wandering through the woods and they find, naturally, a dead body. Okay. Again, we've all seen Stand By Me. We get the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ever see George Washington? No, I never so, saw George Washington, actually. Right. Did they find a dead body in that? Yeah, there's a dead body in them. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's, it's a bit of a trope. They 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 uh, they, they decide not to tell anyone, and that uh, something that they're going to do uh, just before they you know go on their separate journeys is they're going to figure out who this guy was. Uh They're going to most of them aren't allowed to watch Law and Order, but they've got the gist of it, (laughs) and so they're going to try to solve it. Hmm. Uh, They don't know if he's been murdered or not. He probably jumped off a bridge, Um, and so they decide to investigate. None of them are preternaturally precocious in the investigation department. They decide they they're able to put a few things together. For example, he has a book of matches on him that is from a local bar. So they figure we might as well go to that bar. They, no one there recognizes the guy. One person's like, Oh, I think I saw that guy in the bar. And uh, then the kids get distracted by the Galaga machine in the corner and they play Galaga for a while. <laughs> okay. They decide to go uh, That's cute. they they need to get on a computer, but they can't use their family computers because they're little kids and their parents check their search histories and their parents don't want to know they're looking at stuff about dead bodies. So they decide to go to school. They break into school on the last weekend of summer. <laughs> to learn to, stuff. To yeah. learn stuff. That's and, really funny. And uh, while they're there, they like they they get distracted by like doodling on the dry array sports. Like they're just they're still kids. They're not, I like, like too yeah. smart to be kids. They're not, like, mm. old souls. They're, they're kids, damn it. Um, and since they're kids, and mm. since this is something that, even though it's taking place in the present, in the future, this will be their childhood memory. Mm. And we're still already in that kind of weird liminal space between when this is a memory and it's happening right now. Uh-huh. And I love that about it. I love that they're able to capture this weird, very specific time, uh, as a result, there are elements of this that are clearly not really happening, but are clearly going to be part of their memory of it. Mm. Like, they see the ghost of the dead guy around. This doesn't go anywhere. He's not going to attack them. Mm. They're not going to, like, raise the dead or something like that. He's not a zombie. Mm. But there's a dead body. They're not processing the trauma of that. And it's just kind of following him around a bit. So It sounds like um,
1: Apollo 10 and a
2: half. Oh, the that, later movie. It's yeah. a little bit. Like, Apollo 10 and a half has that added benefit of being narrated by someone who's clearly an adult now yeah. and remembers it in kind of a Wonder Years kind of vibe. Here, it's in the perspective of people who are currently living it. Okay. It's that weekend between childhood and adulthood. Hmm. And as a result, things are shifting in both directions. They're getting more mature, but they're clinging to their past. And as a result, the movie... There are going to be people who find this movie unsatisfying because it's not about its plot. It's not about real. It's not really about finding out who this guy was. Mm. We find out a little bit. We don't solve a fucking crime. We don't. It doesn't go anywhere super important. That's It's, it's, not, not, mystery, it's not mystery team. It's not mystery team. It's not Scooby Doo. It's just an inciting incident. It's just a thing they did. Maybe it didn't even really happen. Like it's hard to even say. Mm-hmm. Um. It is about a very specific memory that I don't know if everyone has or appreciates yet where you were at a between time in your life. Yeah. But it's about recognizing well, middle, that moment... You said middle school's about to begin. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's about recognizing that moment when it happens uh-huh. and capturing it in a bottle. All the magic, all the reality, the girls are very talented. Mm. This is a very talented young group of actors. Uh, all of their moms... they don't. Have, <laughs> all their dads are out of the picture. All of their moms... You know, don't get as much to do. Lake Bell gets a little bit more than the rest. But when they realize that their their daughters are missing... And, like, they all said they were staying at each other's house and they don't know where they are. Um, The moms start, like, getting together and trying to figure out what's going on with their kids. And their moms realize that they no longer have the connections they had as a child. And well, I could have gone further in exploring this, you get the impression that they're going to try to be friends. And isn't that nice? (laughs) Friendship. Isn't that cool? Um, I love that this movie has modest ambitions in terms of how it's trying to be cinematic. It Mm. is like a dream. It's like a little sleepy summer nap. I love that. And it's really, really sweet. I like it a lot. It is not going to be everyone's cup of tea because it's not about plot. And it's only about character to a point. It's about a vibe. Mm. But it's a wonderful vibe. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I think there's definitely people who are really going to love this movie. And I think there are going to be some people who want more out of it. I think that's... I get it, but I think you're kind of looking at it from the wrong perspective. So uh, I like it a lot, and I highly recommend checking it out. But
0: so, d- so use so that as a caveat this, when yeah. you're walking
2: in. Don't expect the plot to be important. Expect the sensation mm. of being young and on the verge of growing up. Mm. That's where you're supposed to be swimming. Yeah. That's that's the that's the that's the swimming hole. <laughs> Everything else is the. I, I lost my metaphor. It's terrible. Um, next film I want to talk about. I don't have a good segue for this. Uh, is a new film from Masaaki Yuasa. Uh, Masaaki Yuasa is one of the more interesting filmmakers working in anime right now. Uh, He's directed quite a few things that I think a lot of people would be familiar with. He did a fantastic um, miniseries on Netflix called Devilman Crybaby, uh, which is an update of the old Devilman anime series, but... Jesus fucking Christ, is that an ambitious series? (laughs) Like, it starts off as kind of like a horror superhero thing, and it turns into, like, something, like, deeply, profoundly philosophical. Um, He did a series that's so good, I refuse to finish it. (laughs) Uh, He did a series called Keep Your Hands Off Etsukan, uh, which is 12 episodes long. I got about seven episodes in, and I was like, you know what? I don't want this to end. I'm going to save the last five episodes for another time, and I haven't got around to it yet. But those first seven episodes are some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen about filmmaking. It is about a oh group of three young girls in, in like middle school, high school, mm-hmm. uh, who decide they want to make anime. And it is about them figuring out how anime is made, trying to realize their ambitions... And coming to terms with that, you might have huge creative ambitions, but have technical limitations Mm. and trying to figure out how to make those things work in each other's favor. This, this series understands better than any movie. And frankly, I think most people, Mm. what a producer does. (laughs) Okay. If you ever want to say, what does a producer do in a movie? I would recommend saying... look look at the I forget forget her name look at the tall uh, girl in Keep Your Hands Off Etsaken she's not an animator she's not she's not a storyteller but she gets shit done Hmm. and she facilitates the 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 talent that she's working with and they're all kids it's fucking great Uh,
1: as it turns out I have seen a Masaaki Yuasa film which one? Uh, Cat Soup, a short film he did in 2001 Oh, wow That's the only one I've seen, however I'm looking over uh, his yeah. uh, filmography here He did an episode of Adventure
2: Time Yeah, in, in he worked United on Adventure States Time as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he did a film that's uh, a really kind of bizarre take On Little Mermaid called Lou Over the Wall uh, And this new movie that he did is called Inuo And Inuo, I'm gonna actually Oh, shit, do I still have this? Some I actually got like well, Inu is the Japanese word for dog is yeah. it about a dog? No, it's not about a dog. Uh Inuo is uh Okay. It's a rock opera. Okay. It's a serial killer story. Alright. It is a political thriller. Uh it is an intimate character piece. Uh it is uh, a movie about demons. It is a movie that's kind of got everything. Mm. And in 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 that cool kind of everything way, and that kind of like Streets of Fire way, where everything's like, this is every fucking movie, isn't it? This is kind of fucking cool. Uh, Inuo takes place in feudal Japan. Uh, It is a few hundred years after a civil war. And musicians are only allowed to sing songs about the people and stories Mm. of the people who won that war. And as a result, there is an entire culture that has been functionally erased from existence. Uh, there is a, uh, blind musician who meets a demon or at least a boy who's been possessed by demons. Okay. Uh, he, he wears a mask cause his face is considered too bizarre. And when you see like, and the eye holes on the mask are in like completely the wrong place All just right. to solidify this. His, he has one arm that's about 12 feet long. Like it's really just a bizarre image. Mm. Um, and this guy can wail. So the blind musician and this cursed child uh, team up to tell stories from the perspective of the people who lost the Civil War. And as a result, they're telling stories that no one has heard before. Uh-oh. And as a result, the novelty is huge. They're also doing it in the form of hair metal. So right. it's so a lot it's, of wild it's like, showmanship, it's like a
1: like bardic tradition. Yeah, song. bardic right.
2: traditions, like really. Uh, I mean, that's the Western way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, uh, lots of like, lots of pyro, <laughs> like it's really just fucking awesome, incredible. Just like the I, the vocalist is like a is like the lead singer of a Japanese band, and I can't remember it off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Uh, but the vocalist is just awesome, like Freddie Mercury, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while they are telling these awesome stories and playing these amazing concerts that is changing the face of music as we know it. Politicians are like, yeah, we don't want you to tell the stories of the people we've been vilifying for centuries mm. because it makes us look bad. Oh, uh, the, uh,
1: the actor is Avuchan, mm. uh, from the band Queen Bee.
2: Yeah. Like seriously, listen, it, awesome. Good stuff. Mm. Um, it's a really cool movie. The music is great. It's one of those movies that I saw. I was fortunate enough to see this last year. Uh, before it had come out it's just being released in america now it was playing like the festival circuit and i was able to review Mm -hmm. it then um and it's one of those movies where you walk out of it it's like i want that soundtrack but this was like at like i saw it at like the premiere in like september so i can't get that soundtrack until like now (laughs) And (laughs) and i've been clamoring for it ever since it's really fucking cool it's really fucking smart got a lot of distinct exciting imagery the story is told in a way that where it begins is not where you expect it to go it's super fucking cool um and the ending is really very poignant and sad which i really admire like it's Mm -hmm. it's manages to feel super heroic and awesome because it's like you know a hair metal rock opera but it actually has a larger point about how very difficult it is to tell actual outsider art Within a mm. system that is designed to keep it down, yeah, yeah. Um, or just and
1: doesn't know how to facilitate it. Oh
2: no, actively wants it destroyed. Yeah. is in this particular case. Uh, speaking truth to power is incredibly difficult, uh, especially if you want to be popular. Mm. Uh, and uh, so yeah, i with I don't want to go into too much more detail, but uh, I hope people check this one out. It's really cool. It is a very fun watch. The music is great. Full of exciting imagery. Uh, Masaki Iwasa and his animation team, they have really just a fantastic anime style. I hope uh, more people watch it. And um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. And then the last film uh, is a film called Emily the Criminal. With Aubrey Plaza. Uh, Yeah, the great Aubrey Plaza. Uh, Emily the Criminal stars Aubrey Plaza as a young woman who is in dire financial straits. Uh, She has a lot of student loans that she can't pay off because she wasn't able to finish college. Um, And she's got a felony conviction Mm -hmm. on her record. And as a result, a lot of places won't hire her out, of course. Yeah. So she's completely strapped, absolutely helpless in a lot of ways, but deeply motivated she's working a lot of jobs she's trying to get her one successful friend to help her like you know get an interview at like this big firm mm-hmm. where she actually would be really really good but you know that carrot's dangled in front of her for a lot and then finally uh someone says hey you want to make like 250 dollars a day i forgot the exact number. Is you want to you want to make like a significant amount of money for one day's work mm-hmm. and she's like is it illegal and they're like kind of <laughs> and they're like oh, okay so she has the day She goes, and she... I think that's a fantasy of a lot of people. Yeah. Just one day of work, you'll get, like, a lot of money.
1: Specifically one day of illegal work. Like, I I will break laws if I get a big Mm. payday.
2: Yeah, well, the older you get and the more you realize that debt is, like, a crushing weight around your shoulder. Yeah. Unless you're lucky enough not to have any. Uh, The more you appreciate movies in which people do really stupid things just for money. Yeah, just to be free of debt. from, from yeah. debt because debt is the the rock you keep pushing up that hill, uh, and it just keeps rolling down the other side, and you're constantly trapped. I get it, mm. I do. Like I didn't used to when I was a kid. I'd watch these movies about people doing just the most absurd. Like, why would you commit this horrible crime just for money? I know it's. I know you're in debt, but like, how bad can it be? But until you like live debt mm. every day, you really don't understand just like how. Much of a fantasy that is to have a windfall. Yeah. So I've I've always been a little bit uh, frustrated
1: by that yeah. in like heist movies. Yeah. It's like we're gonna do a heist movie and we're gonna get one hundred thousand dollars. That's like, not enough
2: to. That, that's like not good, okay. No. That
1: that that's might gonna, that's not gonna pay off some people's student loans. That's like, yes, that's gonna get some people out of some of their debts. Yeah. Like, if I'm gonna do like a big risky heist where people's lives yeah. are at stake, I want I'm a gonna payday. Yeah, I'm gonna. I want to. I want that to be. My last job. Yeah, gonna, I like, want to never work again. I'll do it like, for that's like... That's what I'm risking. For like 50000000 million, I'll do it. But know, and that's my share. Yeah, I'm not doing like
2: $100,000. No. Fuck you, I'm not going to risk my life for $100,000. So, yeah, yeah, hey, nothing. You, now, if,
1: if it's like, hey, you want to make a quick five grand... Yeah. And you hold the door open while I do a robbery, it's like, okay. Well, you know, and, this, you
2: know. and this is what she's asked to do. She she goes to uh, like a small like uh, warehouse... Uh, where she sees Theo Rossi, really talented actor, Theo Rossi. I like mm. Theo Rossi a lot. And uh, he says, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask everybody to do something illegal. If you're not into that, please leave now. A mm. couple people leave. He's like, great. Okay. Here's how it works. Uh, we steal credit card numbers. We make fake credit cards. Okay. We can only use them once. So we're going to give you a credit card. We make a fake ID that matches the fake credit card. You're going to go into a high end store, buy something expensive and leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then we'll sell that. Alright. It's it's uncomplicated. Simple, not, not relevant no, no victims
1: there. Uh... Not not
2: a, yeah, pretty victimless crime as crimes go. Uh-huh. Uh and yeah, the whole thing. So like she's given a fake credit card, she goes into a Best Buy, she buys like a 4K 60, 70 inch plasma screen TV, and walks the fuck out. Cool. She makes a small cut of that, they sell the TV. Mm. It as crimes go relatively straightforward and it makes sense. I can wrap my head around that. And it feels relatively unrisky. Yeah. For her. Like like it's hmm. not great if she gets caught, but it seems unlikely that she would. Yeah. As long as the credit card works, she's fine. She does it, she does well. It's an easy enough gig. She's she is uh, given an opportunity to do it again, but this time she's going to buy a car. Okay. Which takes longer. Because you don't just, like, give them your credit card and go. So she's actually got to, like, try to find a way to finagle her way out of it really, really quickly because the bank might find out if she takes longer than 15 minutes. All right. So that gets really, really complicated. And she realizes quickly that this is still a dangerous job, but nothing else she's doing is paying right now. So she starts getting involved in it, not on the buying stuff gig but Mm -hmm. actually tries to get involved in the management side where she starts to succeed more but also starts getting in more danger um as far as the movie goes in terms of like its plot um it's refreshingly straightforward like there's a lot of crime movies that are very much about nuts and bolts and complications and uh making it seem like this like big illustrious or at the very least super complicated world. Um I kind of like how matter of fact and day job it is. That like right. crime is just a thing you decide to do and it takes mm. work just like, just like any va- other job.
1: just like fighting vampires. Yeah,
2: just like just it's like any other job. It takes work, it takes effort. Hmm. It's just got slightly more rewards in some cases, significantly more rewards, but generally speaking slightly more rewards. All right. Um she finds she's good at it, but as she gets in deeper, she realizes that once you're in a world where no one is actually beholden to any sort of ethics, people start screwing each other over really, really bad, and, <laughs> and things and get and, and things get violent towards the end. Um, Aubrey Plaza is giving a, is a, giving a good performance as someone who is. Uh, Sucked into the world of crime, not in a scare film kind of way. In fact, the more we learn about her, the more we realize that she's kind of well suited to this. Yeah. Um, there's an element of this film where I feel like they're trying to say, like, here's how hard the economy is. Yeah. yeah. Even Aubrey Plaza turns to crime, and there's a part of me that finds that a little condescending because a lot of people turn to crime a lot of rich people turn to crime <laughs> it's just a matter I mean, of the richest be... people are all criminals eh? yeah, it's, yeah it's a matter of exploitation on that level and only the, but there's a lot of people who are committing crimes uh that have it even harder than aubrey plaza who at the very least has a job mm. and is making it is getting by like, she's not paying down her debt but she's like living mm. so there's a part of me that finds that idea of like Here's what it's doing: It's taking perfectly good Aubrey Plaza's and ruining them. Is like, (laughs) is like, is maybe not as pointed as they as they want it to be, but as a straight up character piece, with just Aubrey Plaza finding her way into rather banal crime, Uh uh, getting involved in a relationship with Theo Rossi, who's just an actor I really like, and I hope he does more stuff. Um, It's reasonably satisfying. It's a good character piece. I'm not sure it's a great film. Uh, it's just kind of competently produced, hmm. uh, but as a as a vehicle for Aubrey Plaza to do something a little outside of what we would normally consider her wheelhouse, she nails it. So. If you're an Aubrey Plaza flan, flan. If you're Aubrey Plaza flan, a, a scu- you're de- a, a you're flan, delicious.
1: A, fl- a flan sculpture of Aubrey Plaza. I, w- I, would,
2: I, I would like that. I would pay to see that. Uh, if you're going down to the
1: lo- local county fair,
2: if you're someone who's like Aubrey Plaza, I'll see anything in. Then this, you will be rewarded. This is a good film. But um, if you're looking for anything more than that, I find this movie rather middle of the road in terms of its sort of cinematic and thematic ambitions. But mm-hmm. it's it's well made enough. So I'll leave it there. On that note, it's time to review some movies on the critically right. acclaimed scale. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't have uh, caught up a little bit nah. more.
1: I did, I did want to see Emily, Emily the Criminal. You, 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 you went recommended o to me as you, well. You, so. you
2: went away for a few days. It's, yeah, it's yeah. fine. So oftentimes you see more movies than I have. It happens. Hmm. The pendulum's well swing. But anyway, let's review films on the critically acclaimed scale. Uh, that scale works thusly. We review films on a scale of C- to C+, where the lowest you can get is a C-. A C- is below average. We genuinely don't recommend those movies. We might really hate them. They might just think they're just awful movies. Uh, but at the very least, we don't think they're worth going out of your way to see. Yeah. A C is average. There's some good. There's some bad. They're made more for one audience than another. They're just kind of, they're just okay. Hmm. And then there's C+, which is above average. We genuinely recommend those movies. We hope you go out of your way to see them because we think they'll be you'll be rewarded. Hmm. On that note, I'm going to give Emily the Criminal a really flat C. Okay, like that's, as a, again, that's too bad. Good good performances, okay filmmaking doesn't amount to a whole hell of a lot other than, oh, it's good to see Aubrey Plaza doing something interesting. Uh, Inuo, I'm going to give a big old C+. I think it's really exciting filmmaking. I think it's uh, uh, a lot of fun, and it actually has something meaningful on its mind. Uh, it's a very, very good anime film. and I hope more people check it out. Uh, Summering, I also give a big C plus to. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's not, again, it's maybe more from my taste than some other tastes, but if you can get on its wavelength and just try to, like, travel back to what it felt like to be that age, mm. um, I, I think you'll get something kind of transportive out of it. Right. Uh, so I, I, really admired it a lot. Uh, tell me about, well, uh... Is it Lal Chada? Lal Chada. yeah. I want to make sure I
0: pronounce it
1: right. I'll give it a C plus. I mm. think it's it, it's really effective. I know I'm comparing it to the film it's remaking, mm. uh, but I think it actually has like something a little bit more on its mind. I think it's telling a much more responsible story than, than Forrest Gump did. Mm. Uh, and uh, like I said super corny really you know, obvious metaphors really uh, just brazenly sentimental but you know well, that was, just, that was Forrest Gump wasn't it? it was Forrest Gump but I think it like, actually handled a little, little bit better here
2: so I will give it a C plus that's cool mm. uh, I'm torn on fall I think it's exciting and thrilling but it's also a little derivative I'm mm. uh, going to Aaron I'm gonna I'm gonna be nice today I'm gonna give it a C plus okay uh, another day I might give it a very high C but um, as a simple straightforward uh, fear of Heights thriller mm. uh, it really gets the job done okay. again if you've seen other stuff like it you'll say this is a little derivative and mm. maybe that'll bring it down a peg but I still think it's a very effective uh, uh, high concept thriller no, right, excellent. Uh, let's see, bodies, bodies, bodies. But I'm,
1: I'm going to give it a C. I, okay. I I like the way it was handling these sort of like terrible characters. I think the uh, whodunit stuff is pretty fun. I think it's you know mm. nice and atmospheric. I think it's really uh, it's photographed and mostly in darkness, and I think it, mm. that's sort of an interesting aesthetic to go for, uh, not in a horror movie sort of way, just like low light. Uh, and the ultimate Daniel Mul, I think was really really good. I'll, I'll give it a C. Okay, I, I feel like it could have. Uh, no, just a C. That's all I'm gonna say. That's fair. And day shift. Uh, day shift. I I like day shift. I like how kooky it is. I like how dumb it is. I think it's really exciting. It's a high C. Yeah. It's it's not a C plus. It's not uh, a don't miss it kind of a yeah. movie, but it is quite enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I give it a high C as well. Mm. I think uh, the, the some of the cast is doing really really good work. Script might be a little overwrought, but uh, the action's really really cool. And as a modest, ambitioned action movie. Uh, I think if you're an action fan, I think you get a lot out of it for an action fan. It might be a C plus, but I think for most people, it's going to be like a high C, like it's better than you'd expect, but maybe not instant classic or nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening to critically acclaimed this week. (laughs) We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week with reviews of new films like beast where Idris Elba fights a lion. Uh, the, The title is not beast. It's Idris Elba fights a lion. Apologies. (laughs) That's what we're calling it. There's also a prequel to the movie Orphan called Orphan First Kill, uh, which we'll be reviewing as well. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Uh, And other things as well, no doubt. Uh, That is coming up on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you want to hear our show without commercials, or if you want a ton of exclusive shows, including, but not limited to, Only the Best, where we review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in order. And, premiering this week, our new uh, series dedicated to the vast, unexpectedly vast, step-up franchise called Step Me Up, Step Me Down. That's coming up as well. Uh, head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. I, I noticed uh,
1: that if you abbreviate step me up, step me down, uh-huh. SMU SMD, there's an M U S in there. So the word moose is embedded in the title. Oh, which over. <laughs> it's it.
2: <That's> great. <laughs> Thank you for that. I hadn't noticed. Um, and yeah, we got that. Also, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us. Our email address is letters. At criticallyacclaimed.net. Or if you'd prefer, what is our PO Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to uh, PO Box
1: 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064.
2: We might read your correspondence, answer your questions, respond to your criticisms on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. And of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William DeBiani. At Whitney Seibold. And until next time, never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the Midnight
0: Show.